0: Hey, everybody. It's Daniel, your favorite of the LA Meekly hosts. I'm here too. Uh, but, eh, not now. Before we start the show, we want to introduce our very first sponsor for the show. The first sponsor that actually knows that they are sponsoring us. The name of this sponsor is Forkspot. Who said there's no such thing as free lunch? With Forkspot, it's happy hour every hour. Forkspot is a new food ordering app started right here in LA. We like that. Greg silently nodded in in agreement. If he says too many words in this, he gets some of the money for the Mm -hmm. sponsorship, and I won't let him uh, stop. (laughs) Call me Ishmael. I'm going to do all of the. I'm going to read all of Moby Dick. You get eight (laughs) hundred thousand words. Forkspot is a new food ordering app started right here in LA. Like I said, that allows you to order food in advance straight from the app. On top of that, Forkspot has a reward system for every restaurant you visit in their app, which means that if you visit the same place five times, you're going to get five dollars worth of credit to eat there again or a different place. On top of on top of that, Forkspot also has an exclusive partnership with these restaurants to offer you up to thirty percent off in discounts when you dine there. Right now, Forkspot is active in LA and San Diego, but is soon coming to such unimportant places as Seattle, Chicago, and New York City. Listeners of our show can use promo code MEEKLY, M-E-E-K-L-Y, to get a $15 credit immediately. Again, that code is MEEKLY to get a $15 credit immediately. No exclusions, no minimums, just $15 to gorge yourself and feel great about it at your favorite restaurant using the Forkspot app. It's available for download now in the App Store or on Google Play or at Forkspot.com. That name again is Forkspot. ForkSpot, offer code meekly. On with the show.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the LA Meekly podcast. We've been noticing that we've been getting some new listeners. Hello, how's it going? So we're gonna take this time up top to just give you a rundown of what our episodes are like because some might be confused or put off by our format. So here's the recipe of an LA Meekly episode. It starts with a cold open comedy intro that's wacky and unrelated. It has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. We just like doing it. It's not for everybody, so bear with it or fast forward, it's up to you. After that, we both talk about something we've done in the city in the last month and then we go on to answer a listener question. Finally, we dive into the meat of our episode and talk about the actual history. But again, after our intros, the rest of the episode isn't that wacky. Speaking of meat, I'm feeling kind of hungry. I got this here sandwich, but I've forgotten to put mustard on it. Could you pass me some of that mustard that's beside you?
0: Yeah, okay. Oh, no. I accidentally put the mustard next to this can of bright yellow paint. Boy, if I had given that to you on accident, that would have been pretty wacky and unrelated, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Yeah, well, they're clearly labeled, so. Oh, yeah. Here's the mustard.
1: So back to listener questions. We're always looking to hear from our fans and answer questions on air. You can hit us up on any of our social media accounts or email us at la.meekly@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Some sample questions we've got. What's your favorite urban legend of the city? Mine personally, I love the legend of the lizard people living underground.
0: You know, there's a lizard above the ground right here. He may not be a person, but he's a person to me. He's my new pet, Komodo. He's a Gila monster. Certainly would wreak havoc in here if he were to get loose. Do you have a permit to own that? Yeah. He's got all his shots. Yeah, well, keep it away from me.
1: So a little on how we cover history. We take a really broad subject, such as the city's water or the mission system, and then we break it up so we can both cover smaller topics within and then share what we learn with each other and you.
0: Breaking up just like the space-time continuum by a young Martin McFly. I see what you're doing and... I don't want people to get the right idea of
1: us. It's too early in the episode. That's not how you reel in a sucker.
0: You're right. Maybe a little music. I can put on this here record by Huey Lewis and you can get back to talking about the future of this podcast. We never were. I know, but I thought you were going to and I already wrote
1: the line. Anyways, we've recently hit our 60th episode, which is huge to us and we're making our push month by month to triple digits.
0: You know, maybe for the 100th intro, we should hire a professional Mary Pickford impersonator to be in it. we talk about her so much.
1: Hey, that's actually a good idea.
0: And she's trying to conduct a mariachi orchestra while also eating the world's largest falafel.
1: Genius! And it's also a murder mystery with seven acts. Oh, I can't wait till the 100th episode.
0: Why wait for the 100th episode when we could do it now? (gasps) The Harlem
1: Globetrotters, the Radio Civic Music Hall Rockettes, and the 110th United States Congress? Yeah, let's dance!
0: We just want to make you ha-ha before we do the podcast. There's no songs in that already. Turn this off, but we've been doing this a long time. We don't get a paycheck. Oh yeah, we don't have
1: the, the right to this, <coughs> and uh, don't forget to rate and review. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to a hallway
0: of a building that was open at Seasun. <laughs> we are sitting on the floor. If you didn't see the picture on our Instagram about a week ago, we s-
1: as I was saying before, we watch one Japanese movie and this is all we want to do now.
0: <laughs> we watch seven samurai, and now we're, we feel like we always have to sit on the floor. We could be the eighth and ninth I missed the number. No, I didn't. I got numbers. We could be the eighth and ninth samurai. <laughs> we could be eight and a half samurai. <laughs> my favorite Italian Japanese movie. A spaghetti Western. <laughs> you might hear a weird buzzing yeah, at parts in this episode where Right and, there's, there's not only a light above us. There's a ca- electrical cabinet right mm-hmm. behind Greg that says "Danger, don't record podcast." There's also here. a
1: framed printed thing that says "Thank you for keeping <laughs> this area clean."
0: So this is going to be a very clean episode. Very clean.
1: I'm not going to say the F word, the S word, the 69 word. I'm not going to say any of them. I'm clean boy today. <laughs> today I'm very sick.
0: Uh, yeah, oh yeah. Greg's also sick. I'm sick. I was wearing
1: a mask for a little bit. I have a glove on that's covered in paint thinner. Hi. Yeah, I Gonzalez. thought you
0: were doing your an impression of your favorite pop star. Rod Uh, Stewart Smokey Robinson I like how both of our ideas of pop stars that aren't Michael Jackson are (laughs) even older than Michael (laughs) Jackson (laughs) and uh, arguably not pop stars Smokey Robinson is a pop star
1: Rod Stewart's not he's a rock god he's a pop god if you think I'm sexy wait do you think I'm sexy no it's not it's come on sugar let me know but there's a thing in the middle if If, if if you like my body if you like my body number one if you like my body number two if you think I'm sexy (laughs) number three come let me know two questions I got two questions
0: (laughs) two questions and a command that was the name of my um doesn't matter all right it's in my reference <laughs> i know we had a, our first sponsor at this episode which is very exciting i'm yeah. going to, i'm very looking forward to using 15 dollars worth of food me and my girlfriend are gonna abuse that
1: this weekend yeah we're gonna
0: open so many different <laughs> email accounts just to use this
1: i have all those burner credit cards that i've stolen from cars i'm gonna start fin- using them
0: finally the finally family. so we, we don't mean that we <laughs> So, we also, this isn't a sponsor, but we actually, this episode, we are doing in tandem cooperation with another LA entity, LA mm-hmm. cultural entity, which is Life Hacks LA. Very important uh, blog. Is it a blog? They have a website and they have their Instagram. Which hey, we'll, I've been uh,
1: referring to it as a blog to everybody, so sorry. Everything's a blog. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: What's this podcast, a blog? <laughs> are you reading the latest blog by uh, Robert Lerman or whatever? Ludlum, that's
1: the name. That's, thank you. Okay. Uh, anyway,
0: we're not working with Robert Lerman Ludlum. And we never was Ludlum. Life Hacks LA, we're... uh, Here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is my new segment. Here's here's the thing. thing. We're always looking for new topics. Like, everywhere... Like, whenever I'm reading LA Magazine, LA Mm Weekly, anything LA-related, like, oh, that's interesting, I'll write that down for a new topic Mm -hmm. for an episode or anything just to cover. And following Life Hacks LA, which which we do, do, it basically is, like, a suggestion every single day for Mm -hmm. a topic. They cover anything in the city, any interesting, unknown, even known thing in the city and just suggestions of stuff to do yeah. and also really nice pictures but just like you will learn so much about the city just following this instagram account yeah. which is great
1: and like you'll either run into stuff that you don't know and you get curious about or you run into something that you've done a million times and you'll be like oh yeah that's right like yeah I've i want to do that again. yeah exactly they, they make like stuff that i don't like look good <laughs> like i don't want to go to santa monica Pier, <laughs> but then they show that's, a picture and I'm like oh man i haven't been there that, in a
0: while huh wow because we were talking with them about it and they even like some of the topics i cover they suggested like i yeah. didn't know about a couple of these things and and he emailed me about it and it's great and they're yeah. really interesting you have to follow yeah it's, it's worth the follow it's it really worth is. following so have, that's life hacks la on instagram lifehacksla.com is a website and they're also on facebook i was looking through it you can type in the sort of thing you're looking for like history or food yeah. and it'll show you like oh there's this this and this that's and great. it has like on a map where it is and when it's open and stuff like that those it's maps really, are
1: super helpful too i love those maps yeah i know they I also like the
0: clumps <laughs> i like big clumps of red warty things <laughs> on a map they've been doing these giveaways a lot oh, yeah? recently they i think they just gave away a trip to mexico oh okay i'll go not to us i oh, no, never it'll <laughs> never be to us <laughs> we'll never make it to mexico <laughs> so yeah life hacks la definitely follow it yeah absolutely follow it it's really great so now that was uh, a few things we've talked about Thank what have you, you done in the last what did you do this december uh yeah. we yeah. went on, yeah. Uh, yeah. oh geez we went on a double date oh yeah to
1: moose on uh, frank's oh, for, that was you oh that was OG. Oh, <laughs> we went on a double date to celebrate my birthday which i gave to my girlfriend and then your engagement we yeah, went to Muson frank's which i gave drinks. to your birthday which you gave to my which birthday which you gave to your girlfriend yeah we went together to moose frank's and it's beautiful uh, especially yeah. at christmas time because it's just dark for yeah, yeah, yeah. the lights
0: it w- first of all it took me 45 minutes to park it did
1: it was took uh, yeah, it was hard to park
0: it was so crowded and it was fun yeah it, it was fun was a yeah lot of fun. It, we didn't
1: the red jackets the pins just the atmosphere and everything just being in an old yeah. bar knowing that raymond chandler was probably yeah. there drunk
0: off and they <laughs> had to drag him out of a booth somewhere the three of you got martinis mm-hmm. which were un- unbelievably strong they i took a so sip good. it was, was so uh, good and you mm, get alcoholics. so you
1: get your martini and then they give you like a glass yeah, of whatever of like martini, a, a to martini. Go with it. it's like a 14 martini but then i got two martinis from it
0: yeah and then you got a the Mousseau and frank strawberry torton <laughs> jesus <laughs> it's old a, food it was really good it looked really it, good it's it like a strawberry cream sort of cake but instead of like cake it's almost it's like a pastry like coconutty pastry yeah it was really it looked very really good. very good
1: it was very old
0: i know i was thinking afterwards i probably should have let greg and ada have some but greg's yeah. probably gonna get sick in a couple weeks he shouldn't have any
1: and then after that we went my girlfriend found a speakeasy oh, called yeah. no vacancy yeah. and it was around the corner and then we had to walk through this house that was like just behind it wasn't it wasn't the crossroads of the world but it reminded me of that yeah, I'm like, I'm it the was, it's like a weird the intersection or, of, the intersection of crossroads and the world <laughs> we had a wait in line but i was wearing a tor johnson pin and some guy had questions about that yeah the, the bouncer had, the bouncer like half
0: our size yeah
1: exactly which is like a fourth of my size
0: half of your size is a fourth Half
1: my size so he must have been like i don't know six one uh <laughs> the most exciting thing about it was getting into it and yeah, then once we were yeah, settled yeah. in, i'm like hey, i'd rather go back to muslim frank yeah but it I, was nice it I was it, it was an interesting thing i yeah. i
0: kind of wish like we had been able to see more of the house whatever it was yeah but it's not my it is not your thing it's yeah. not my thing like i've, I've always told screaming to you about whatever i was i think seeing. we were talking
1: about star trek <laughs> you were telling me about Star Trek that you want to see.
0: I think in terms of what you can do of that, in terms of that on Hollywood Boulevard, that's definitely one of the better things. Yeah, I think so. But anyway, you've already had your one thing. You can't choose two. That was one night. <laughs> My favorite thing of the month was that one night. <laughs> A night to remember. What'd you do? I sunk the Titanic. <laughs> My thing, which again, I keep—I feel bad because I keep picking things like, well, this I did, but you can't do it till next year. Mm-hmm. I went to, every year I go to this, the um, holiday celebration at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion on Christmas Eve, right. which is really great. Right. It's uh, you have to get there kind of early because it used to be it's a three hour show now that start it's from three to six but it used to be when I was younger and way before that when mm. i was pre-young neil young i was it, it used to be a 12-hour show so you could oh. you, but you wouldn't stay the whole time yeah, i was <laughs> i see everything for, <laughs> you could just like come in and out like we oh, will stay for a couple hours and go to the next thing oh, but anyway cool. it's local acts from around the city doing christmas hanukkah kwanzaa music wow. and they have a lot of choirs which those parts i tend to sleep through but they sing all these christmas Mm-hmm. carols Kiss,
1: they, they go out there and they're
0: jing, jing, jingling bells and uh they're jing jingling, 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 jing jingling ring ting tingling too. some kind of animal with a with a <laughs> nose ailment speaking of which when i was in line because they have the performers in line uh-huh. and the bob baker theater was doing a show yeah. right in front of us and i once the show was over they had like all the puppets behind this thing and yeah. i wanted to go look at the puppets so i went around and i was going to take a picture of like this just hanging there santa and Rudolph. And, and this was when you were a young boy no this was uh four days ago i no, wanted <laughs> <laughs> to say it. No, oh, it was two days ago. I saw the puppets, so I thought I'd take a picture with the puppets. Me, and <laughs> an adult man. Are these uh, things real? <laughs> so I went, and the guy was like, "Do you want a picture with it?" Yeah, and I, stupid. I was, I was like, "Well, well, uh, yeah." And uh, he, okay, he, he le- <laughs> <laughs> me, the little boy yeah. me. He let me pick which puppet, so I took a puppet with the snowmen because it was the least religious of all of them. But mm-hmm. anyway, the show itself, like they, they had ballet folklorico, they had Filipino mm. dances, they had Japanese drumming, they have uh, ukulele stuff like every year it's different the big finale is an all-female mariachi band oh, cool. it's really good i recommend and it's free that's the thing when they made the dorothy chandler pavilion one of the guys kenneth hahn mm-hmm. specified like we can do this but there has to be one day a year that is free to the whole Everybody, city yeah. and this is it and that's it's perfect. really good that's They'd one of those things
1: it. where, like kind of a night on Broadway where you can you mm-hmm.
0: Rest in peace. <laughs> Rest in
1: peace. Um, without having to spend money, you can get a look at all these beautiful buildings that you usually don't it's get a It's such a nice to. building. Because
0: yeah. so like they used to have the Oscars there, and it's like the current home of the opera. Like, mm-hmm. it's a very, it's, it's, it's Wayne, it's very Bruce Wayne. <laughs> do it next December, I recommend it. But you, don't get in line ahead of me. You do it. Oh, you do it. You do it. Yeah, shut up. You do it. <laughs> so, yeah, those are the things we did from last month. It uh, was a good cold month, and I didn't get sick one time. Except Christmas Day. Someone had too many figgy puddings. <laughs> uh, I still don't know what that is. So, now let's go to our listener question. Oh, yes. Um, oh, 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 oh. Oh, okay. So, before we get into the new one, our listener wasn't satisfied with my answer last time. <laughs> she sends me an email saying, I hate your answer. She sends you an email saying, I want to go on a date with you and your girlfriend. She sent me a picture. <laughs> (laughs) I sent that picture to a park ranger at Griffith Park, and they responded to me. This is from Lynn Kanin, who is a park ranger Uh there. The thing she was talking about, that graded area in the question behind Griffith Park, Uh which wasn't the Zoodoo place or whatever I hypothesized it was that's the Toyon Canyon landfill it's closed now and is slowly being returned to parkland. Oh, okay so it was a landfill but it's being reconverted back into not trash <laughs> I liked it better when it was trash <laughs>
1: this city's changing every this minute I gentrifying I like our Vendor trash whoa
0: <laughs> well, I can't afford to live in trash anymore there's some closure for that uh, last month's question now let's go to this one this okay. one's from Brian Cox good old Brian Cox friend of the show he nice was in, beard nice boy so he sent this To us on Facebook, what's the strangest story you've heard relating to Skid Row? homelessness
1: before i get into what i i mean i a, a, a flash came to my brain but i'd like to just mention a couple experiences or just maybe one i was there one time uh, i think on like fourth near alameda and it was just beginning to rain and i saw everybody who was on the streets having to pack up and get ready for the rain and it reminded me of like oh yeah this is like imagine everything you own getting wet yeah the yeah. sadness and the seriousness of the rain too yeah people i know live on the streets when i was so sad
0: <laughs> when i was thinking about this question i was like well the strange just every what I see as the strangest thing is actually a national tragedy yeah like it's, it's horrible yeah
1: the fact that you there's there's a stretch of road in downtown where yeah. there's just people out in the street and it's where well, that's where you go when you're there yeah you know what I mean
0: no I don't know what you mean. I was looking up stuff online there was one guy one story one guy said he was, he was a bouncer at a bar and they were like closing up and these two guys walked towards him and one of them stopped to talk to him and the other guy kept walking and then when he was like out of earshot the guy was like that person was about to take me around the corner and mug me <laughs> uh, thanks for stopping that well there's also the Cecil Hotel everything this, everything. Yeah. That that's probably the strangest thing I've heard but let's not forget the Greyhound where Richard Ramirez
1: also hung out which yeah. is at the outskirts of Skid Row yeah. I wouldn't necessarily call it Skid Row but it's. <laughs> I
0: thinking about the times you've told me that you've seen people just defecating on the street yeah I, was, I thought that's pretty strange my experience on skid row is uh i was walking across the street and this guy walked past me and just as ch- the cheeriest i've ever seen anybody he went hello white devil and then he <laughs> walked right past me that was strange it's so funny that you can go to china
1: and have the same experience
0: I, I, it's a small world <laughs> it's a small world for a white person
1: <laughs> He said, what's the weirdest thing that happened on Skid Row? And my brain flashed like... Wasn't there someone called the Skid Row Slasher? And there was. That sounds familiar. Yeah. There was a killer in the streets of Los Angeles. Oh, God. How much of this do you have? Well, in 1974, there was a guy going around killing transients, and he was called the Skid Row Slasher, not to be confused with the Skid Row Stabber, which is another guy. (laughs) This guy is a little bit more serious. In total, the Skid Row Slasher killed nine people, but attacked ten. When was this? Between October and November 1974. All along Skid Row and a little bit in Hollywood, too. The tenth victim was a custodian employed by the county named William Graham. He was found slumped over a park bench at City Hall Plaza, a little grass area across from the police headquarters. Yeah. He was found there. The other nine were homeless people who had no money, so these crimes were not motivated by that factor. He slashed their throats or he stabbed them. The first victim, Charles Jackson, was killed and left near Central Library. But is that weird? I mean, it's... <laughs> I wouldn't say it's weird. I'd say it's strange. It's sad and it's morbid. But is it weird? Well... All the bodies were found with a cup of blood next to them and their bodies were surrounded by a circle of salt. So the media obviously thought it was some sort of satanic ritual, but I can't confirm that. It was also said, but I can't confirm this, that all the victims' shoes were removed and they were found facing the bodies. No idea what that's about. I haven't done extensive research on this, but it's not our job to do that. The name of the Skid Row Slasher is Vaughn Orin Greenwood. He was a 33-year-old guy who had been doing similar stuff in Chicago 10 years prior to that and had been locked up, but not nearly. fork
0: spots coming to Chicago.
1: (laughs) We should ask them if they delivered to prison the way he got caught is that when he attacked uh charles not charles Jackson, uh, william graham charles
0: Man- he tried to go up against charles manson oh
1: uh, yeah killer versus killer although we both know charles manson didn't kill anybody he dropped a, a letter that he addressed to himself uh, at the last scene and they looked into it and then they went to his house and they found the cufflinks of one of the victim there so then he got caught it's it weird slasher. that I-
0: anytime salt is involved they're like well it's a satan worship this is satan <laughs> this is satanic stuff is satan season i was
1: telling my girlfriend she's like well that isn't that an old village thing to keep ghosts away
0: to kill transients oh, to kill transients that's how you keep ghosts
1: away you have to make a sacrifice no when you cover something in
0: salt. i don't know i have never lived in the old world yeah that's strange odd so uh, thank you brian thanks brian you'll never hear this but uh <laughs> if you did you could use uh promo code meekly and uh live out your strangest fantasy on skid row <laughs> you see promo code meekly this doesn't count as a credit <laughs> You can't say you're a guest on the show. Yeah. Don't put this on your resume, Brian. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about uh, you know, some, like I said, in tandem with Life Hacks LA, they cover hidden gems, mm-hmm. things like that. So we're going to talk about some hidden gems in the city yeah. in this episode. We are. Some of them are you might know about them, but not yeah. really, and some of them I had, no, like I said, I had no idea about these.
1: One of them talked about I, is one of my really special things in the city that I tell, I try to tell everybody to go to, and I'm happy to do research on it. Although, skid Row. Skid Row. The other one, we'll get into the, the, my weird thing with my second one
0: okay your love affair with
1: it turns out it's not the hollywood wax museum like i thought it was it's a completely different thing and i like this one much more yeah listen to me i have no interest in the hollywood wax museum none they're creepy they're bad they're altogether ooky yeah if they were there i might go actually (laughs) they had tv versions of that i'm suddenly i I don't want just
0: just drawings drawings you're
1: from new york aren't you mm, there's
0: drawings of uh, <laughs> water. water drawings of water and coffee <laughs> i don't know i'm gonna uh, go to go walk, walk out the house then. <laughs> so i'll get us started why mm-hmm. not why not hey why, and not? God, why not i'm talking here i'm talking here why not so my first one day after day alone on a hill the restaurant on the map refuses to comp my bill oh my god our first gem is a place bad music uh, like. <laughs> to explain that my girlfriend she compared living with me is like living in a bad musical <laughs> <laughs> which is calling it a musical is generous. <laughs> <laughs> so our first gem is a place that literally looks down on all of us—the Yamashiro Restaurant in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You, it's
1: above uh, Magic Castle, correct? it is. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's the only time I've seen it is when driving towards Magic Castle, which I'm also not. About, Here's the
1: thing about—I don't know if you caught this in your research, but it's actually a, just an illusion. It's not actually on the hill. It's, it's a just, mirror.
0: It's a. <laughs> it's a mirror. It's a mirror. It's just a mirror reflecting off of the, um, the of haunted the, mansion. The, the, way down in Irvine. (laughs) Anaheim.
1: Um, Oh, no, I'm I'm not talking about the Disney one. There's a haunted mansion in Irvine.
0: It's on the UCI campus. This story here, it all starts with the ancient Japanese dynasty of the Bernheimer brothers. Oh, my God. Two brothers (laughs) from Ulm, Germany. Eugene Bernheimer was born 1865 and his brother Adolf mm, Mm. was born 1866. The sons.
1: It was was okay then. It was 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 okay okay. to call someone Adolf back then.
0: Uh, His brother Eichmann. (laughs) It meant something else back then. They were born with... With Buddhist swastikas The <laughs> brother was born in 1866 they were the sons of a dry goods importing company called Bayer Mill Manufacturing Company they were sons of a corporation they made cotton products and imported and exported oriental goods as they put it in less racist terms this meant that for work they traveled extensively in Asia and while they were there they developed a love for Asian art and culture and started to collect things that eventually turned into a massive Asian art collection that was valued at hundreds of thousands of dollars they just started collecting things hell yeah Lauwai. <laughs> Boy, the Laowais they must have heard. I I feel you, Adolf. <laughs> they have all this art, but what to do with it? What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Greg just swallowed his tongue. He's very sick. They had come to the U.S. in 1888, but it wasn't until 1911 that they came to L.A., priceless art collection in hand, just (laughs) Just, holding it all. Is this a carry-on? Can I bring this life-size dragon made out of (laughs) jade with me? So, in 1912, they bought a 12-acre plot of land from a guy named Hobart J. Whitley. Yeah, but what's really his name, though? What's his not-con man name? (laughs) So, it was 250 feet above Hollywood Boulevard in an address now known as 1999 North Sycamore Avenue. They wanted to build an almost literal temple to the Asian art and culture they loved that they could house their collection in, but also live in, because why share it with the public? I, yeah, want, no, I want to live I want with to my live art.
1: My, I, I, want, okay, get this, I want to make an art gallery and a museum. do I want to live in it. And I want to live in it, and I want no one else
0: to hey, have rent, access. Rent is high. Man, <laughs> we all want a museum. Why choose between a museum and a, a place to live anymore? I belong in a museum! That's what he said to the designer. <laughs> he was actually on the other side of that movie. <laughs> so they hired an architect named Franklin Smalls, uh, still no actual Asian people involved here, and he got them to design for them a Mountain palace, or a yamashiro, as it's called in Japanese. That's that's what that's what it means. Okay. So it was inspired by different designs from all over Asia, China, Japan. Japan, Japan. China. Japan. Um, this, this is, you know, the, those places. This is when the actual Asian people got involved in the form of hundreds of nameless workers they brought in from <laughs> Asia for the job. Cultural appropriation is just, alive and well.
1: Just touch everything. We just want to yeah. say that it's Asian. Just touch everything.
0: What was completed in 1914 was really a masterpiece of home design in any part of the world. It had ten rooms, and the whole thing was made of teak and cedar covered in rafters painted gold adorned with bronze dragons. So the inside of the house was decorated all over with their artwork and tapestries and silks and like Asian furniture everywhere kind of like how we're sitting like like where we're sitting yeah
1: so what you're saying is that they're humble yeah (laughs) and it's a modest living environment we only have the finest
0: silk (laughs) so the landscaping on the place alone cost two million dollars and it was complete with waterfalls a lake full of black swans 30,000 varieties of plants and trees a private aviary and a monkey house filled with live monkeys that was less of a house and more of a tunnel that led to a cave full of monkeys (laughs) Sometimes the light at the end of the tunnel is just screaming monkeys. Sometimes it's a monkey that stole your flashlight. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) He's got teeth. He wants to hit your genitals real hard, and he can see him in the dark. So there was a tiny canal system decorated just like the one done in Irvine.
1: The Pirates of the Caribbean of Irvine. Yeah, it's a small world in Irvine.
0: It's a modestly sized mansion. (laughs) Tiny canal system decorated with toy houseboats and miniature villages, and the whole garden area was terraced with 300 steps leading from street level up to the house. So in case you got tired, there was the summer house near the top of the hill, which was just a rest stop for the puny among those likely enough to visit to rest a little bit before they got to the front door. The most interesting feature is probably, to me, it's the 600-year-old pagoda that Mm. was flown in from Japan and is now, by default, the oldest standing structure in California. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. What's a pagoda? (laughs) It's kind of like a laowai. It's a laowai you can live in. That's Um, all I want. (laughs) gentrified. Laowai. Each brother lived on one side of the house, with a central courtyard joining the two sections. (laughs) And then there
1: was a strip of blue tape down the the middle.
0: (laughs) This is my (laughs) way. It was called the DMZ, which is a different part of Asia. Bear in mind, this was built 12 years before the Chinese theater, so this predates the Asian appropriation trend of the city. But it wasn't long before the city began to turn on the brothers and this house. From the get-go things, it it was weird. Like, the descriptions I read were weird. When it was done, the LA Times wrote, the hosts there are bachelors, and and it is rumored that they have made a pact that no woman shall ever enter the place as an invited guest okay I have no idea what this means but they went on to describe this as the sign of a sinister romance
1: what yeah. between two brothers I don't know
0: I don't know what they're possibly oh implying oh
1: I'm sure they couldn't say homosexual in the newspapers at the time. So they're like they're sinister, bachelors. yeah, sinister. Bachelor's
0: meant you're gay, yeah, and sinister meant you like incest. And
1: then no girls, lad, pretty on the nose,
0: boys only. <laughs> this all shows you that people were kind of wary of these two brothers living in this Asian mansion on the hill, and then. World War one hit. And suddenly, two mysterious, reclusive German Jews living high up above Hollywood, pretending. they must be spies. Yeah, pret- pretending pretend- to be Asian. Yeah. These two closeted Germans up there. <laughs> Rumors started to fly to the point that people all over town believe that the Bernheimer brothers were smuggling German spies and guns into the country and hiding them in Yamashiro <laughs> via tunnels leading up to the house and were also signaling German airplanes from their driveway. What driveway? <laughs> you know, none of them had gone up there. They don't know. So to show people that they weren't spies, both brothers bought $5,000 war bonds in 1918 to show how much they loved America, but nobody was buying it. That's they didn't what believe Spies them. could do that too. Yeah. The spy who bought bail bonds.
1: I was buying war bonds, but for the other side. I was buying it for actually for Germany.
0: $5,000 in American war bonds, $5 million in German war bonds. <laughs> Won't be a fair fight. To try to dispel these rumors. They brought in an FBI agent and a reporter from the examiner to inspect the house for hidden tunnels and smuggled goods. Mm -hmm. And when the newspaper printed the article that they found nothing, people kind of backed off, but the brothers were still bitter about it. So not long after the war in 1924, they sold the house and the sinister brothers split up. Eugene went to San Francisco and died. San Francisco, that town has a reputation, doesn't it? Hmm.
1: There's a certain kind of lifestyle up there.
0: A certain free living, very appealing lifestyle. Let's okay. go to San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> they have Fork Spot. No, they don't. They have San Diego. Let me do the ad over again. <laughs> Eugene went to San Francisco and died in December of that year, but Adolf... I'm broken heart. <laughs> he just wanted to love his brother. <laughs> but Adolf moved to Pacific Palisades, where he decided to try to recreate Yamashira on the highest bluff along the water, which was a spot the shoemash called Burning Mountain, because mm-hmm. <laughs> there was often smoke seen emanating from it, and it smelled like sulfur and gave off a red glow at night. So they summoned a dragon. <laughs> he a finally married. did it. He finally, Son of a bitch. Finally did it. <laughs> My collection will be complete. Scientists say now that this weird phenomenon, it's from uh, oil and gas seeping out, but I say it's the volcano that buried Atlantis. But this place looked similar to Yamashiro and was kind of like an Asian Getty Villa. Mm-hmm. It was called Bernheimer Oriental Gardens. Beautiful.
1: Every word that follows it makes more sense.
0: <laughs> it was open to the public, this one, and oh. it had over 2 million people visit until World War II hit and nobody had enough gas to drive to Pacific. Pacific Palisades because all they had were bullets in their car, and <laughs> also he was he was still German, so people didn't trust him again, all over Fair. again. And inflation, he can't afford a bail bond, a, a bail bond of war bail. bond, <laughs> an American bail bond. <laughs> At the same time, the land started slipping into the ocean because of the recently built PCH. And then in 1944, Adolf died. Suspicious, pretty similar to another Adolf's death here. Mm. And two months later, a huge landslide destroyed the whole place, so that's no longer there. There's a book on this place called "The Mystery of the Green Ghost," which is Ooh. sort of an Alfred. Hitchcock branded Hardy Boys thing. It's weird. I'm going to read it right now. Yeah. So back to Yamashiro. The man the brother sold it to was John Tate, who is rumored to have turned it into a brothel during uh, the, the mid-20s. But that's never been confirmed. But what is confirmed is that on October 11th, 1925, this place was the first meeting place of the 400 Club, which I really? kept thinking the 700, or the, what is it? The 700 Club? The religious thing? Mm-hmm. You don't know what I'm talking about. I know what about. you're talking
1: about. You used yeah. to be on TV before X-Men. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
0: <laughs> oh, so you remember. You're one of the the seven hundred. It's not that. This was an exclusive celebrity-only secret society. It's even more religious. <laughs> it was an offshoot of the sixty club, which was about three hundred forty people smaller. Hey, uh, that was started by what? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wait a minute. Let
0: me get my abacus. <laughs> so that was started by Frank Elliott, and they used to meet at the Biltmore. It started because even though movie people in the mid twenties they were becoming rich in the city, they were still looked down on by the old money, oil, newspaper, yeah. the Chandlers. but
1: Henry Huntington didn't like to hang out with, Heavy Lamar. Yeah. Why?
0: Oh, he did. <laughs> these new money people, they weren't invited to these old money events. So yeah. they decided to build their own community to not feel so left out about it. So membership, it was $500 for the 400 club. Mm. it's uh, you're paying more than a dollar a person in my opinion. <laughs> Let me get my abacus. <laughs> the membership included people like Cecil B. DeMille, Rudolph Valentino, Fatty Arbuckle, Samuel Goldwyn, Sam Warner, Paula Negri, Lillian Gish, and 393 of their friends all piled into Yamashiro this night. Greg, you're disrespecting me. Lillian well, Gish. Hmm? Greg. I challenge you. (laughs) Lillian Gish is my father. (laughs) One person present on this opening night of it said, we heard music coming from the little open music room at the end of the patio and somebody was dancing the Charleston. Of course it is Priscilla Dean and Ruth Roland, commented Stella. And sure enough, it was. I saw them only last night Charlestoning at the 60 Club at the Biltmore. Now the question is, where did these indestructible Charlestoners Charleston in between times? (laughs) That's the sort of commentary you get in the mid-20s. This is why the Chandlers didn't like them. (laughs) Written by Jasper Zaffron. By the next year, in 1926, the 400 Club had kind of petered out, and Yamashiro was just used basically as a venue for whoever wanted to hold an event there. In the Mm -hmm. 30s, you could tour the gardens for a quarter. But in the 40s, it became a target of racist paranoia again, even with nobody living there. Because when World War II hit, people started spreading rumors that it was actually a signal tower for the Japanese. This looks Japanese. It must be. Mm. It must be a spy. <laughs> this building is a spy. I bet there's Polish people up there. <laughs> that building's trying to steal my job. <laughs> so during World War II, it got heavily vandalized, so the owner decided to hide the Asian features of it to calm people down. <laughs> they started putting up wood around all of the ornate trimmings, and they painted it black, and other Rolling Stone lyrics. That's not,
1: that's not a dragon. It's an American snake. <laughs>
0: It's the snake that the eagle's catching, <laughs> not the Mexican eagle, the American eagle. After this, it briefly turned into a military boy's school. Which, what can get more American than that? But after the war in 1948, it was bought by a name named Thomas O'Glover, who was going to tear the whole thing down and put up apartments. But when he was about to do it, he discovered that behind all this wood and black paint, there were these beautiful old Asian designs. So he decided instead to return it to its original glory and expand it, converted it into 15 apartments, including one in the old monkey cave. Ooh. Yeah. It's the, the- monkeys, though. Private tunnel. Couldn't get yeah. them out. <laughs> They're not going. <laughs> Renter's right. So lots of celebrities lived there, including Pernell Roberts, who was on Bonanza, and apparently Richard Pryor lived there for a little oh, okay. bit. He did, did he set on fire? That's why he had to move. Do this in your own home. <laughs> Glover also bought the land around it that would later become the Magic Castle in the Hollywood Hills Hotel. Oh, that, okay. You know, that mirror? Yeah. Eventually, Glover built a cocktail lounge in the back room of the main house and started the Hollywood Hills Club in it that cost a dollar to join and to drink there. This got more and more popular in Until eventually the whole east side of the building was a bar slash club. But then on New Year's Eve 1963, Glover's son started serving hors d'oeuvres there. And that's when they decided officially to become a restaurant. And Yamashiro, as we know it, but not really because it's a hidden gem, was born. Started out with just four tables. Soon it was the whole main building capable of holding up to 512 diners. And it's pretty much stayed the same that way ever since. That's 12 more than... No, that's, that's 112 more than the 400 club. Thank you, Abacus. It's been in a lot of movies. Memoirs of a geisha, of Oh, of okay. And in August 2012, it was added to the National Register of Historic Places. Yay. But in 2014, it went up for sale and was under threat of being turned into a private club or a fashion runway, I read. They would just do fashion shows up okay. there or a tech think tank, which I don't know what that means. Um, sounds words. sinister.
1: I bet it's, the Axis is up there. <laughs> <laughs> they're all up there and they're
0: planning stuff. Maybe, maybe r- fa- Russians like fashion, maybe. <laughs> Instead, it was sold to a Chinese hotel company called JE Group in March 2016 for $40 million who proceeded. They then raised the rent of the restaurant three times to $100,000 a month, yep. which forced the restaurant to close down. And then they opened up their new restaurant in its place, still called Yamashiro. They do Asian Fusion. It's run by the same team that runs the Chinese theater. So there's a lot of premier after parties there. They're oh, held okay. up there, but you can also host your wedding or special event up there uh, for a nominal fortune. Mm. They do A, a night- modest fortune. <laughs> a pauper's fortune. They do a night market up there on Thursdays during the summer, so you can go visit without having to spend a nominal inheritance just to eat there. <laughs> There's some reported hauntings up there, like mm. uh, crying coming from one of the rooms at night, and some have seen a guy in a cowboy hat walking around after hours. The Seven Samurai. Cool. Seven Samurai turning into the Magnificent, Magnificent Seven. 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 Yeah. That's them.
1: I want to see ghost monkeys go I to the want old zoo to...
0: <laughs> I want to see you're ghost a... monkeys yeah. bad musical you're a baboon <laughs> Get out of here. You're a specter of a <laughs>
1: You're a specter of an orangutan. Get out of here. <laughs> so
0: they think this guy in the cowboy hat could be Glover, the guy who used to own oh, yeah. it. Or maybe it was this old movie pioneer named Fayette Thomas Moore, who shot himself in his car in front of the restaurant in 1955. He couldn't afford could couldn't you? afford anything. <laughs> Whoever this may be, just remember that some of the fish in the koi pond are almost 60 years old. I wish I
1: didn't burp when you said that. Yeah. I wanted to
0: laugh. Instead, you burp in my face. On the day of my daughter's wedding.
1: <laughs> At
0: Yamashiro. At
1: Yamashiro, which is a lovely place.
0: So... So yeah, that's Yamashiro. A little. I want to go to that night market at least to just kind of walk around. We should do that. Check in next month if that's the thing we do. How about you do it and take pictures?
1: (laughs) I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite places in Griffith Park. The title. You do love this place. I do love this place. Have I taken you there?
0: No, I've never. I've still never been there. You've never been. I've seen Travel Town.
1: Oh, you spoiled it. I did spoil it just to scold you. How (laughs) dare you have a podcast on LA and never gone
0: (laughs) Travel Town? It's got to make a move. To a town that's right for me. Won't you take me to travel town? Good musical.
1: (laughs) This one is called Where we're going, we don't need to go anywhere. (laughs) The story of little old travel town in Griffith Park has to do with two men, both of whom worked for the city.
0: Were they sinister men?
1: They were two brothers, and they kissed. And then the whole world didn't didn't want them to kiss again. And they're like, but we want to. Started a
0: world war because of it. (laughs) The kiss hurt around the world. Those two brothers, Japan and Germany.
1: (laughs) Two guys. William Fredrickson, who was the superintendent of recreation, and Charlie Atkins, who was an employee of the recreation and parks department. Charlie Atkins, sound familiar. I thought that he was a country singer. (laughs) Of old old time country, I I think he does. I might be thinking of the Atkins diet. I might be thinking of Charlie Patton and the atkins diet yeah it all (laughs) happens at this moment at the end of the 40s and the beginning of the 50s because of wartime industries and boosts in the national economy production of automobiles is on the rise which is perfect because now not only do people want personal vehicles they can also afford it with the rise of automobile comes the decline in train transportation and that was an era filled with excitement and train crashes and train robberies (laughs) and boxcar hobos singing old-timey songs like charlie atkins (laughs) charlie atkins (laughs) don't
0: eat carbs
1: bad musical but charlie <laughs> atkins was not going to let this era of american transportation go quietly atkins was born in-
0: <laughs> trains aren't known for that
1: he was <laughs> this is the sound he's going to make to not let it go quietly choo-choo crash crash chugga chugga
0: chugga chugga, 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 chugga preserve chugga, 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 this
1: chugga. earn this uh atkins was born in 1889 in omaha nebraska before moving to los angeles he was an executive for the standard oil company he made the move to southern california in the 30s and later took a job with the city of los angeles charlie was deeply saddened by what he correctly felt was the end of the railroad era <laughs> of american life now his spark for the idea was creating a railroad petting zoo for kids to come and see <laughs> what would eventually become Relics. so basically yeah uh-huh. come and and play with all the trains. Yeah.
0: no feeding. Just keep Just throwing. throwing throwing coal, coal into at it.
1: Eat <laughs> it. Why won't it wake up?
0: Why is that train humping the other one?
1: <laughs> it's <laughs> it's our
0: box cars. I made. Yeah. I wish I
1: knew more train uh, phrases.
0: He Caboose. Wa- we did go
1: there. I've never been there. We've been there. I have not been there. We've been there together.
0: No. Mm-hmm. No. When have we been there? I know that you once went there and took a bunch of pictures.
1: And you weren't with me. I was not with you. I think it was you.
0: Must have been Mark Marin, <laughs> The other, only other podcaster. In yeah. Town.
1: No, it was uh, Lore. I took Lore out. <laughs>
0: I went there with stuff you should know. Here's some stuff you should know. I went there with hardcore history. You know, there's probably 400,000 podcasts, and whenever we, it's time for us to make a reference to another one, we name five, five. of them. Yeah. I listen
1: to probably 15 different podcasts, and I'm still always like, what's Lore doing? Are you my favorite murderer?
0: Four of the five I reference, I don't even listen to. Yeah,
1: I know. I can literally put two words together, and it's probably someone's podcast. You know, Muffin Paycheck. It's probably a podcast. How do you get on? It's a dying medium. Someday there's
0: going to be a travel town for podcasts.
1: (laughs) Charlie was trying to rally some troops. He wanted to find a place in the city to exhibit and hold these retired trains. He started rallying the troops and he found a lot of support for his idea among railroad enthusiasts. They also got a lot of support from the Parks Department for Griffith Park, for the actual park, the parks department. Griffith the Park, 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 Park. park, park. <laughs> I believe this is where William Fredrickson comes in. It's weird because some sources give the credit to the idea to Atkins and others give it to Fredrickson, but rarely are the two mentioned in the same space. And then if they are, they always give credit to one and not both. <sighs> so I'm going to try to give credit to both. <laughs> I mostly give credit to Atkins because when I went to Travel Town last time, I bought a postcard with Charlie Atkins and one of our Patreon people got So I'm always like, yeah, Charlie Atkins, he made everything. <laughs> it's probably two people. <laughs> Fredrickson was a superintendent of the recreation for the city, and it was said that it was his original idea. He had a 1947 that led to the creation of travel town so i think a lot of people give him credit for the germ of the idea frederickson had a similar idea to atkins thousands of curious youngsters had never been able to access these beautiful machines his idea originally had to do with planes he thought a lot of kids were curious and wanted to grow up to be pilots but they had never been into a cockpit they had never been on an airplane as just like admirers like if yeah. you're getting on a plane you're just like a passenger it's
0: just hijackers hijackers <laughs> and i have a box cutter um his main concern was just to went from planes to trains
1: and then, you know, there was no logical third one. There just wasn't. You know, he
0: also made another museum, the Peterson Museum. <laughs> Originally called the Atkins Museum.
1: The way Atkins had thought of making a railroad petting zoo, Fredrickson wanted to create a museum where you were allowed to put your hands on these precious pieces of history. Pick up that dinosaur, you know, climb into that sarcophagus. Uh-huh. Do whatever you want. <laughs> but they both had similar ideas. That See what it's like to be a mummy. They wanted the next generation to still be able to look and touch at these big machines. That's what the right. two men wanted. Fredrickson went about obtaining a surplus well he tried to get surplus airplanes from world war ii since it was over but that plan who he worked with another guy with the parks department general um General George, God, this guy's last name is hard to say. Higelte. He was a general yeah. manager of the city recreation and Parks These two guys, mm. no comment. When I see that. You, I
0: suspect he's a spy. <laughs> <laughs> you from Serbia or Croatia? <laughs> Weird, specific racism against countries nobody has a problem with, except, <laughs> except those with, countries, those <laughs> except countries. those two countries yeah. at each other.
1: Fredrickson and Higelte. They try to get planes to make a plane museum. That plan fell through, but he kept the spark of idea—a place where young kids could climb aboard old vehicles. And those two men went on to create the very first playground in an auto junkyard <laughs> kidding but come on like look at travel town like it's a how is it not that atkins plan finally reaches frederickson and Higilte and they start looking into acquiring some old trains at some point i'm not quite sure when but they acquired the land for the travel town the spot would be on the san fernando valley side of griffith park almost adjacent to the hollywood forest lawn travel town would be given nine acres to display trains and railroad ephemera to the public the first two locomotives that travel Town acquired were small they had once worked at a quarry at catalina carrying stones used in building the breakaway ports at the port of la these were property of the la harbor department and they were going to get scrapped until they were got saved by this team of train nerds who all worked for Rex and park like as i'm learning like it's just like one department's like i like trains too let's buy all the trains so it's now 1952 and now they have another fella named Oren Wennerston not Wienerstein, understand he was a supervisor of Tell maintenance his high school bullies <laughs> winterston was a supervisor of maintenance again at the Rex and park department winterston got his employees to write a letter to DJ Russell not a DJ like a musician like his name is D.J.
0: he's my favorite droid he may not be a DJ but he He is is a Star Wars droid
1: (laughs) but he is a malfunctioning Star Wars droid that's in one scene and has his own action figure and trading card so they write a letter to DJ Russell he's the president of a Southern Pacific company to inquire about acquiring an obsolete locomotive to display and this would be a donation to the train nerds the employee that Winterston got to write the letter was Charlie Atkins so it's just a big circle of nerds being like what's that old Old train. <laughs> DJ Russell was also a train nerd and enthusiastically approved of this idea, so he donated the soon-to-be-retired engine 3025 to the men at the Rex and parks department. So that's great of Southern Pacific, but now the question, how do we get this old heavy train from Glendale to its spot in Traveltown, which is almost Glendale? They luckily got help from the Biala Truck Company to move the damn thing for free, and October 10th, the engine 3025 landed in Griffith Park thanks to what I can only imagine are train nerds of the Biala Truck Company. Do <laughs> they work for the parks department. <laughs> so, <laughs> they got hired <higher> that day. <laughs> Seasonal workers. The little birdies started talking, and soon news was spreading about the retired trains at the Travel Town that you could board. Almost immediately, the train Pennington was receiving new vehicles and other exhibits in rapid one after the other. By the 1st of December, Travel Town had on exhibit a 44 passenger streetcar given by the LA Transit Lines. They had an historic 76 year old Dre represented by Paul J. Smith, who was the president of the Republic. Was,
0: was there a Snoop? what was i saying um uh, (laughs) do you want me
1: to sing do you mind singing and rapping for me (laughs) in a 50 year old kerosene tank wagon donated by the standard oil company of california there's a colorful old circus wagon given Hmm. by the beverly amusement company caboose number 2117 which is a veteran home on wheels for a nomadic trainman, given by the union pacific railroad company and a one horse shea which was a gift from Berry farm
0: isn't that a line from a christmas song a one horse shea or four four horse sleigh what is it one horse on a one horse sleigh sleigh oh jingle bells (laughs) anyway it is a christmas song is (laughs) is jingle bells a christmas song
1: is that what we're arguing right now so on top of all the trains that were getting donated all different types of trains first of all like you had interurban ones you had like transcontinental trains you had sleeper trains on top of all that pacific electric donated its old sierra vista waiting station like the the awning that goes over all the trains they donated that so that's from pe
0: i've seen that from the freeway Yeah, you can see
1: that. That's pretty big. That's pretty noticeable.
0: That's definitely free to see. If you just don't look at traffic and look to your right when you're on the 134. just,
1: Just hard stop. Yeah. and
0: it's tr- <laughs> just stop people don't understand yeah
1: no just turn your hazards on that's okay
0: life hack stop in the middle of the freeway you can see whatever attraction <laughs> you want for free
1: with that impressive slate of exhibits cleaned and polished for the occasion travel town was officially dedicated on sunday december 14th of 1952 and after that they just kept acquiring trains and growing exhibits among the regular locomotives and train cars which eventually included larry trains and red cars they also had an ancient petroleum field fire truck which was donated by the Shell oil company hmm. and at one
0: point they Who had- also worked for the parks department
1: three planes on site which included an obsolescent Japanese Zero Fighter Zero in quotations mm, Fighter I do trust it um, Is it active? Who signaled inside? it from their driveway? Is it spying on other planes? Yeah, it's going to spy tally. on the trades. The fighter plane was captured on the South Pacific Island during World War II All these three planes were later donated to the Air Museum Atkins mm. unfortunately died in 1959 but he dies seeing this passion of his and this little idea turn into a popular amusement right. Not that popular because it's a hidden gem You know what's weird is I can't seem to find much on Walt Disney or Ward Kimball's ideas on Travel Town, and you think they would because they're they were they had train their own nerds. trains in their backyard. Yeah, they're that was the crazy. genesis of Disneyland. Yeah, they also almost and acquired, it's across
0: the street from Disney. It's, across, <laughs>
1: it's literally across the street from Disneyland. It's across a freeway. Uh,
0: yeah, the, I call the freeway a street because I stop on it and sleep there all the time.
1: Because <laughs> I pull over and get out and just like walk around. Yeah, they were train nerds. I don't know what they thought of Travel Town. That's weird.
0: Like the timing, the yeah. year, everything is matched up perfectly. With because them.
1: we, me and Ada, went up to a train museum in nevada i think in carson city and they have one of ward kimball they're whistling billy is ward kimball's train i'm like but what did he think about travel town <laughs> i am trying to make it a point to stop at every train museum in every city now because i love them so much
0: it's your whistle stop tour it's, of train museums yeah in
1: 1965 travel town's exhibits were regrouped and the park was rededicated and there's just constant restoration projects going on with all the trains there in 1966 a new director stepped into travel town his name was fred Hertwig, and he was a jovial hmm. very-
0: sounds Slovenian.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Something uh, not right about that name, huh?
0: Sounds like he might be from the former Yugoslavia.
1: <laughs> Yugoslavia sounds like he's someone from real cold, but not American cold. He was a real jovial, likable guy, and he retired in 1983 at the age of 69, and never missed. He never missed a day of work. He first became involved in the city of Beverly Hills with a traveling circus, which is I'm very curious about. He was a director of a program for 15 summers, beginning in 1950. 52, where they would travel to three different city playgrounds a week and cast children in 14 different circus acts.
0: What? Yeah. What?
1: I have no idea what is. I'm so curious about the Beverly Hills traveling circus. No insurance necessary. Nah. <laughs> well,
0: that's what the tour was called.
1: Listen, your son wants to be in the circus. He has to bite the head off this chicken. Live, okay? Or he and can then go this, home.
0: This lion has to bite the head off of him. <laughs> the it's lion cir- wants to go home. Circle of life. Man bites chicken. <laughs> lion bites man. Nobody Woman wants life. the earth. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he then went on after the, doing the circus. He went on to work for the city valley's wrecked Recton parks where he ended up at travel town he carried on the legacy of neatness and train nerdery after the passing of atkins at travel town among the many immobile trains and cars there's a small train that circles the park and for a couple bucks you can ride this and wave to all the sucker pedestrians and stuff which is really neat
0: that i think i've been on because that i think is the ghost train train oh okay. i think that's what i rode on so okay. i guess i kind of have been there been but there. i didn't see the you've been
1: to spooky there, there
0: there's a lot of witches there and uh oh, talking jack-o'-lanterns right
1: oh yeah you, you know it pretty well my <laughs> My favorite things there there's a LA railway inner urban trolley it's there it's really beat up but it's got that simple like trolley look that mm-hmm. i like donated in 1962 there's also a pullman sleeping car called the rose bowl it's like long and black and it's under that waiting area it was built in 1937 they also have a southern pacific stock car made of wood and it looks like where they killed laura palmer i always <laughs> make that joke when i go there and nobody cares now travel town admission is absolutely free but donations are graciously appreciated it's opened i believe every day but check the hours before you go because some days it closes at four sometimes it closes at five it's such a wonderful thing to check out it's great to let kids just kind of run around and do their yeah. thing you can have birthday parties inside one of the trains there huh. best of all but sadly it's never that packed it's never empty but it's also yeah. just, it's good and bad good and bad it's it's such a wonderful little hidden gem of la but it's a very wonderful wholesome not seedy place i was looking up kind of surface level checks i'm like so no, no murders no vandal <laughs> no skulls found no light line- no Did these
0: trains ever hit anyone
1: <laughs> <laughs> please check out travel town it's at 5200 hollingsworth drive in Griffith park at the very edge of Griffith Park.
0: Is there a gift shop? Yeah, there's a great gift shop. Uh, yeah, I imagine there's a good gift shop There's there. a good gift shop. I,
1: I always want to buy train whistles and uh, <laughs> you know what they have? Conductor's hats. They Children's have, conductor's hats. And it's it's pinstriped. Uh, they have a mug that I really want that I never get and it's a mug of hobo codes. I love it. Like in Mad Men. Like in Mad Men.
0: There's an angry pie that lives here. <laughs> <laughs> there's a cow that looked at me cross. <laughs> so it's owned by Park the Parks Yeah, Department. it's
1: owned by the City of LA. By that's the good. Parks it,
0: that's weird because, I mean, the zoo also, it seems like everything, I in mean, why what, that, yeah, why would there be a private company in Griffith, in the public park? Yeah. That makes sense. Let's go on to mine. These two, I have two small ones okay. here, and these were both actually suggested by Life Hacks LA. Oh,
1: yeah, okay. Are they small? The stories are short? or The stories like, are short. They're, they're like, also... They're hidden gems that are just gems?
0: They're actual gems. They're actual I, gems. I hid two <laughs> Bombay Sapphires somewhere in this city. The winner gets the keys to Yamashiro. But watch out for the racist looks. These two are suggested by him from Life Hacks LA. So the first one I'm going to talk about, you can beg for forgiveness, with as many Hail Marys as you want, but there's only one St. Vincent, and that's St. Vincent's Court. Christ. You knew about this one. I had no idea what this was. Yeah, I didn't know what
1: it was called. You were aware of this. I was aware of this. We used to walk by it because it's 7th Street.
0: I never saw this. I had never heard of this before. This hidden little alley, here we go, located between Broadway and Hill, you have to enter on the north side of 7th Street. So that's how you get in there. It's a dead-end street. Originally, it was called St. Vincent Place. Mm -hmm. This was the road that led up to the old St. Vincent College, which was the first college in Southern California. Oh, really? So it's a dead-end road because that end of the road used to be the first College in Southern California. It took up most of that block, the college, when it opened in 1868 until it moved in 1887 and went on to become Loyola Marymount. Part of that building became a military compound until 1907 when it became Bullock's Department Store. Oh, really? That's where it was. And St. Vincent Place was used for shipping and and receiving deliveries Mm -hmm. and became a meeting spot for vendors who would be delivering there. So Bullock's, you know, it became like a hangout place for the people delivering things to the department store. So the Bullock's-
1: People didn't want to go back to work and were lounging around. Yeah, like, All right, and the and depression's voted, gonna hit. Why do this? Yeah, why do this? I've been loading a truck for like a year now, and I, you know, sometimes I want to scratch my bottom. Go ahead.
0: So, Bullocks decided to rent out space on this street for a few shops and restaurants on the street to open up and cater to these vendors. And it slowly bloomed into this hidden secret area to go hang out for the vendors and people in the know downtown. So, since most of the vendors and sellers here were Italian, it took on a very alfresco, open air Italian plaza yeah. feel to it, with people were eating outside, they were hanging out. Out, playing games, smoking, but by the early 50s, the street was looking a little run down, but it was so well regarded of a meeting place at this point that it was made a California landmark and was given a really? full yeah, it was it's a California landmark. Shit. It was given a full makeover in 1957. So they in this makeover, they fully embraced the Italian ambiance. They decorated it to basically look like the European street set on the Universal Studios yeah. lot. Like it's an exaggeration <laughs> of what Europe looks like on purpose. It had a cobblestone like road, it had fake, brightly colored <laughs> storefronts put on the walls and it was renamed the more elegant St. Vincent Court. It's very elegant. It thrived as the outdoor hangout that it always was but over the years as the demographic changed in the 80s and bullocks closed and part of the building turned into the St. Vincent's Jewelry Center yeah. the restaurant turned more and more Middle Eastern and then predominantly Armenian which it now is today so it wasn't Italian anymore. That's it's, what happened to Italy too, right? Yeah, it's called Armenia. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Armenia though. <laughs> it's a satellite country of <laughs> Armenia. A guy named Kason Chelik opened up a restaurant there around this time and got even more facades and decorations put up. I bring him up because he had previously owned the Orange Julius at 7th Street which if you recall that episode might have been the first location wow, to be really? called Orange Julius so he ran that for a while. But the outdoor culture stayed constant throughout and got even better eventually with they had a full shoe shine set up on the sidewalk, the tables for the restaurants literally filled the whole street. Like it was a block party every single day and the street was closed off. Like people were just <laughs> playing great. playing cards and eating in the middle of the street. Hey,
1: Giuseppe <laughs> quit playing stickball
0: Giuseppe remember what it was like in Armenia <laughs> problem was the street wasn't closed off yeah it was still an open it, street it, so, it was an active street <laughs> it's, uh, starting in the early 2010s when the Los Angeles theater was coming back thank you councilman Jose Wezar. <laughs> The untouchable. The untouchable. The infallible Jose (laughs) Lizar. So the LA theater was coming back alive. So they ran into trouble because the only way to get to their loading area was to go down St. Vincent Court. But trucks couldn't get through because there were tables everywhere in the street. And when they were able to get through, the restaurant owners started demanding them to pay to park there for taking up their space. So to avoid this, the crews trying to use the theater had to instead rent a lot across the street and load and unload and and cross the street, which was way more expensive. So, people yeah. stopped renting out the Los Angeles Theater, which the owner says cost them millions of dollars Shh. because of these restaurants. The owners of the theater complained to the city and the tables in the street, were, it was illegal, but the city was just kind of looking the other way the whole time. The theater owner was willing to help pay to expand the sidewalk so that the restaurants could still have outdoor dining, which they said, if we didn't have outdoor dining, it would kill us. Yeah. That would be the end of us. But the talks failed when it came to the topic of having reserved spots on the street for the truck. So, as it stands, the theater has won. The yep. theater's won and is making a comeback. Meanwhile, in the back alley behind it is this other old gem of the city. It's slowly dying because of.
1: Yeah, it's one restored thing sucking the energy exactly. of another restored it, thing.
0: It's all this downtown beautification. St. Vincent Court is being forgotten, which is a shame, but this little dead end alley, it's a perfect petri dish of what's going on downtown right yeah. now when one thing is saved. Literally, on the flip side of that, another thing is dying because this yeah. one thing is saved. So I would say it's go there sooner rather than soon, later. Yeah. But it's a cool, it's a really cool looking little place. I'd like to go there and get some classic Armenian food. Your spaghetti, your lasagna. (laughs) So that's one tiny little one. Uh Now here comes another one. Okay, Get ready. Venice as Ven does. And this next one is a story of a Venice couple that never stopped doing it.
1: What's going to happen right now?
0: That's right. It's the Venice Mosaic Tile House. Oh, okay. Do you know what this is? Not really. Good. Finally, I've stumped you. The infallible Jose (laughs) Huizar and Greg, I've stumped him. So unlike the stories of xenophobia and gentrification I've already covered, this one is a love story. This is a nice one. Okay. So in this corner is a woman named Cherry, Cherry, Sherry Pan. (laughs) That's my Italian accent coming out. (laughs) She was born in San Francisco but raised in Boyle Heights. She went to UCLA in 1959 to study printmaking and then went on to get a master's in fine art from Cal State, LA. And in the other corner, a man named Gonzalo Duran, born in Mexico but raised also in Boyle Heights, the son of a man famous locally for making flamenco and folklorico shoes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Imagine your dad making these shoes for you. What?
1: I love it so much.
0: Then I could dance.
1: <laughs> the reason I don't dance now is because my dad doesn't make shoes.
0: <laughs> I broke my only folklorico shoes. You can
1: make roller skates pretty good. But <laughs> you can't dance on roller
0: skates. I can glide. <laughs> and I do, like it's, an angel. The skid row glider. <laughs> Gonzalo, he went to the Otis Art Institute and mm-hmm. then to the Shoe and Art Art School. They've both been artists since the 60s and have had success in their own right. Gonzalo has been called the Mexican Mark Chagall. But these two love artists didn't know each other until one day in 1992. Cherry. Cherry was buying... Ch- Sherry, Sherry <laughs> Cherry babe, Cherry Pan. <laughs> you live in a bad musical. Sherry was buying paint at Nova Color in Culver oh, City. I love Nova you know Nova Color. Yeah. That happened to be where Gonzalo worked and one day she came in and she asked, uh, "I need to buy something permanent and bright that doesn't fade." And he replied, I'm your man. No, buy
1: me, I'm a gigolo.
0: Pay for my services. <laughs> so she started coming into the store more and more to buy things, but mostly just to see him until one day, as she put it, we just started kissing. <laughs> mm. Will they, won't they? I say gross. <laughs> now they were a couple and one day a they were but Sorry. Now they were a couple and one day they were biking through San Gabriel Valley and their bicycle built for two and passed the church that said it did marriages once a week so they went in and got married. A classic love story. Classic.
1: Impulsive people. Artists. Artists. I mean like oh, romantic. they're just swallowed up by the sense of doom and they have to do everything immediately because who knows if I'll die today. In
0: 1944 they bought a house at 1116 Palms Boulevard in Venice. That was a little rundown place from the 40s. So they started by building an art studio out back in 1996 as Sherry put it, it was a very ugly house so we had to do something. So, here it begins. They both loved color and Sherry loved making tiles and Gonzalo was obsessed with the tile work he had known as a kid in Mexico so he decided that Sherry would make a bunch of colorful tiles and he'd smash them all uh-huh. and, and say, look what I can do.
1: Let me do it.
0: <laughs> and put them all over their bathroom, turning it into basically if you melted down anything made by Gaudi and the Watts Towers and then reformed it into a bathroom, that's what it looked like. Okay. Just this crazy, colorful textured tile thing. Tiles, shards of things everywhere, and it looked really good, and they both loved it, so then Sherry said, make me a Mexican kitchen. Is that a dish? It's actually uh, when two people are in love <laughs> like they are, they do the Mexican kitchen. Sorry. So then they did the same thing to the kitchen that they did to the bathroom. Yeah. Then she said, make me a porch kids will love. So they did the same thing on the porch, and then they filled the rest of the front yard with ceramic sculptures of a fortune cookie and an elephant and an iguana and a bathtub and something called a giraffe a They put in a beanie baby wall. Wall, and then they covered the walls and floors in colorful tiles and then they filled more of the house with tiles until the whole house became this crazy colorful ceramic mosaic work of art that also they happen to live inside of it wow it's their yamashiro <laughs> the la times took a tour and described it as an almost indescribable cacophony here's
1: how i describe it it's indescribable <laughs> it's indescribable <laughs>
0: if there's one word for this place it's indescribable you're indescribable what kind of musical is that?
1: <laughs> you want to grade it in front of you? In front of, in front of all our fans? Are the reviews in yet?
0: <laughs> so they were working on the house eight to 12 hours each weekend, and the whole neighborhood got on board with it. People would bring over their broken dishes and any other interesting looking junk that they had. Kids would bring their broken toys, and they still, the two lovers, they ride around on their bicycle built for two, going to yard sales, looking for more things to put in this house. People were so curious as to what they were doing that they started giving tours that you can take on Saturdays between one and four for $20. The House isn't completely finished, and they say they still need a few years to finish it, but Gonzalo doesn't really know what that will look like when it's finished. He says there's an idea in my head, but I don't know how it's going to turn out until I do it. Yeah. He says that when he's done, he wants to move and start all over again. <laughs> but he he also hopes to turn this place into a historic landmark. Which maybe that sounds kind of brash, but keep in mind that this is exactly how the Watts Tower started. Yeah. It was yeah. just some guy who wanted to make art in his yard, and now it's one of the most cherished landmarks in the whole city. And you yeah. can actually go to this place on the weekend. You could go this weekend and meet the people who are responsible that's for great. it. They're also both just regular people, which is that's my favorite. Part. Up until 2013, when he retired, you could have gone to Nova Color and met <laughs> Gonzalo. That's great. And you could have kissed him if you wanted. Are you the unfatable color I'm nah. looking for?
1: <laughs> Actually, what you want is blue.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not no. attracted to you. I'm not into that. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. And then he kisses no. his wife. Yeah. let me
1: do it. <laughs>
0: and then he, you kiss his wife. <laughs> they're also deeply in love. They're both in their 70s. Like every picture, it, they're just crazy about each other. Yeah. Sherry says, we salsa in the house, we kiss all day long, and if it weren't toxic, I'd paint on him. <laughs> so look out for a murder in the near future. As she puts it, this house is a monument to love in the midst of really chaotic times. Wow. So it's a nice, That's it's beautiful. nice. It's a really nice story. Yeah. And it, it look at pictures, it's really... Really cool okay. looking. It's just, it's a tiny little house, but like, you'll know it when you see it.
1: And how? Colors? <laughs> oh, I'm
0: okay. How? I'm colorblind, how? I'm colorblind, I'm blind. how?
1: All the other houses are black and white. Lights, camera... Russia? I'm going to be talking about the Hollywood Museum and the beautiful Art Deco Max Factor building. But to start, let's go back to Russia, Comrade Zafran The man who came to be known as Max Factor was born... Do you know what Max Factor's name is? His real it's born name? It's not Max
0: Factor. It's Maximum Faximum.
1: It's Maximilian Factorovich.
0: You're kidding me. Nope. Which sounds like a lie told on the spot. That's ridiculous. He went to cool nickname Ellis Island when he came into this (laughs) country. You're Max Factor. He
1: was born in a super long time ago year of 1872 in Poland. Max was one of eight children. 1872, which means all his childhood memories were of working different jobs and probably watching animals be killed. One of his better jobs at a young age was working in a theater where he sold sweets. This is where little Max first got a look into the big world of entertainment and art. Later, he landed a job at the cosmetics salon. In most cases, that's where Somebody's story ends, but not Max Factor's <laughs> case. After that, the age of fourteen, Max moved to Moscow to work as a makeup assistant at the famous Bolshoi Theater. I know that theater. You're
0: cultured. You're a cultured young man. I studied at the Bolshoi. My original name is Daniel Kazenmanalikas. Now... <laughs> My, My name, name is Daniel, Daniel Zephanakis. Zephanakis. <laughs> Must be a spy. Uh,
1: the theater was opened on October twentieth, eighteen fifty-six, to coordinate with the coronation day of Tsar Alexander II.
0: Oh, I knew him.
1: So that's great, and it's not only making his life important; it's also Putting him on a path to make a mark in American history. But first, mandatory Russian military service. I don't know much about Russian history at the end of the 19th century, but Max didn't lose his limbs or anything, so it must have been like alright. He wrapped that up in 1895. And upon his return, at some point, he becomes an apprentice in a wig factory. He meets a woman. As all
0: veterans do. As all
1: veterans do, they go on the to wig, make fake the hair. The wig
0: industry was so accepting of Russian veterans in the early 1900s. Things changed, but
1: in that moment in time, it was a perfect to be a a Russian veteran who wants to make fake Nobody hair. Nobody
0: had it easier than Russian veterans <laughs> from the late 1800s. Who wanted
1: to make fake hair for a living. He meets a woman named Esther Rosa nicknamed Lizzie and the two have three children together.
0: Her American name was Joe Cool. <laughs>
1: they had three children, Frida, Cecilia, and Davis. Eventually, Max Factor opened up his own store where he sold cosmetics. He sold powders and creams and perfumes and wigs that he made himself, custom wigs. Those are going to be a big deal later. His talents and ability to see how to accentuate the physical advantages of each client made him quite famous, and he quickly rose above the ranks of makeup artists. He served a theater troupe that would play in front of the Tsar, and somehow helped spread his name to the upper crust of Russian Empire. And then it's 1904, and it's that classic story: anti-Semitism starts making a lot of sense to one group of people, <laughs> and the other group of people—we'll call them—I don't know—Jewish—they start saying, "We gotta get the fire truck out of here because people, this is not looking good." The we gotta story. get the Max Factor we gotta out of here. Get the ma- Maximum Factor is out of here. So Max Factor took his wife and his two kids and about forty thousand dollars and left for America. Da, 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 da. Uh, we will
0: make wigs in America. America. We will make makeup in America. There are
1: no wigs in America <laughs> yet. There's no hair in America <laughs> yet. They came to America where there would never be any anti-Semitism. They landed in Saint. Just
0: ask L- the Bernheimer brothers. <laughs>
1: they landed in St. Louis, and this was unlike most people intentional. Uh, not only <laughs> it
0: wasn't just the layover that went wrong.
1: Not only did he have well wishers in st louis who could help him establish himself there was also the 1904 world's fair in st louis max even set up a booth at it and sold cosmetics after that point max opens up a bar shop eventually everything seems to be going good him and lizzie have two more children francis and louise or no francis and louis They actually moved to
0: saint louis
1: (laughs) they moved to saint louis sadly lizzie dies suddenly from an aneurysm he does what any man would do he gets married again and has another child and then that marriage doesn't work and he meets another lady the two of them and five children grab all of their stuff and they head out west to sunny southern california the year is 1908 we barely have sustainable water but yeah mm-hmm. sure come over <laughs> once in los angeles max factor gets right to work he opens up his first shop at the edge of downtown near central and pico this was called you know when you open up a store it's got to have like a little bit of mystery to it <laughs> and a little bit of like sex appeal this was called the antiseptic hair store <laughs> Ew. based on brochures and ads he seemed to specialize in making wigs and toupees do you know what happens in 1908 hindenburg take, yeah hindenburg happens nineteen 19- oh is also the year that Tommy E. Thomas Edison sets up the motion picture patents company in New Jersey. Finally we can make motion pictures so long <laughs> as we pay Edison to use his patented technology or we can move west where it'll take longer right. for him to find yeah. out that we've been using it.
0: <laughs> where it takes twice as long for the cease and desist letters to arrive. <laughs>
1: also the weather was superb and different parts of the city offer different terrain. West is the best east is the
0: least we all know it. Hey it rhymes you can't argue with it.
1: <laughs> the gloves don't fit you must acquit. You can't argue with that. <laughs> what I'm saying is Max Factor, the revolutionary Hollywood makeup artist, got to Los Angeles at just the right time. He preceded the Hollywood machine right. by a little bit. So he had his foot in the door.
0: He had his wig in the door. He
1: was he has his foot in the door because he was there before the door was built. <laughs> so the studios in LA started filming things in the early 19-teens. And I don't know if you've seen silent films before. <laughs> the makeup's kind of odd. Because of the cameras at the time and the makeup had to be caked on. And people yeah. had like raccoon eyes and <laughs> pronounced lips. All this stuff used to create expression because it was so hard and it was silent film so you had to like mostly use expressions
0: but the, mm-hmm. the makeup was like limiting just talk. They, why didn't they just talk I could read lips everyone couldn't read lips back then
1: <laughs> it was said that they used ham brine Ew. on the face of actors as a tinting powder a fine glaze for all those hams booyah 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 <laughs> baba booey, baba, booey. <laughs> baba booyah <laughs> wigs in Hollywood at the time were also very primitive they were usually very coarse and they looked weird on people apparently they were made of cigar shavings or some crap but you know who was really great at <laughs> Make tobacco tobacco shaving sorry you i could said, also I s-
0: smoke the wigs
1: <laughs> but you know who's really great at making wigs was that little russian man who makes wigs and has uh-huh. a long weird name that when shortened sounds like a sports drink mixed with cologne <laughs> yeah max factor makes wigs <laughs> so around 1930 the studio started heading to a shop in downtown and he'd make custom wigs but the issue there is that the prices for custom wigs were too high because custom wigs so many studios would rent the wigs for their shoot the first industry man to do business with max factor was cecil B hmm. DeMille, I have the to guy say from slow. the
0: 400 club
1: yeah i have to say his name really slow because i've been saying cecil build the mill and i can't do that anymore <laughs> cecil build a bear cecil i you beat me to it because <laughs> i am sick and i am just so slow
0: fastest wit in this empty hallway son of a B <laughs> be mill
1: this is for the movie called the squaw man which mm. i hated having to say sorry so he rented to
0: DeMille. mill is that offensive yeah is
1: it squaw
0: i don't know what that means
1: it's a native american oh okay i think it's offensive i don't like saying it so it must be
0: offensive <laughs> i can't pronounce it it must be offensive
1: so he rented the mill and i believe even got some work as an extra in either that pick or another but it wasn't long lasting and i think that was part of his deal was like well you know if you're gonna rent and i want to be there with the hair and then he had mm. to like he like pretended to fall off a horse i was watching a <laughs> thing and it didn't make a lot of sense studios kept churning out movies and by 1915 hollywood established itself as a mecca for filmmaking and by the 20s the motion pictures had established themselves as an art and entertainment and made the viewing of films a necessity of American life. Los Angeles was the film capital of the world and little Max Factor had by chance his foot in the door, which I said already. His wig in the door. Around this time he comes Ouch. up with around this time he comes up with his own brand line he calls it Supreme, not the one you're thinking of, that He doesn't skateboard. Yeah.
0: They don't sell it on Fairfax? <laughs> There's not a what line out to do, the door.
1: Did, did he do diamond? So Max Factor started with his custom wigs and by 1914 had developed his own cream grease paint. Supreme is known by many as the first makeup developed specifically for the movie industry. Huh. Max created it to overcome problems associated with the use of stick grease paint in motion pictures. From working in makeup in theaters for years before Hollywood, he knew that stage makeup, the stage makeup they were using on films was too stiff and heavy. The flexible grease paint he made Made would not cake and would allow actors to actually show expressions hmm. so why
0: sh- what do we need that for what you just can- read the title cards
1: as a writer i don't want to give power to the actors <laughs> his shop moved a couple more times he left pico in central spot and was for a time at the fifth floor of the pantages building on broadway before moving once again to the max factor supreme makeup shop 326 south hill street in 1916 which is close to grand central market and angels flight also working there was his son francis or frank as he wanted to be called now and davis francis worked frantic. <laughs> he went frantic factor frantic factor francis worked with him in the lab and davis was
0: more late
1: one night I cannot think of a single lyric or Monster Mash. His,
0: uh, his bulgy, silent film eyes beheld a weary sight. You, could, you can work on it.
1: Um, hit me up later and we'll see if it works later. So his kids work. i not there.
0: working a day in my life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm a writer. What do I do? So Francis worked with Max in the lab and Davis was more business and marketing. His daughters, Cecilia and Frida, also worked at counters at the store. By this time, Max was starting to get savvy about his salesmanship. He would take a cart full of cosmetics and park outside of the studio and wait for actors to leave hmm. for the day and he would catch them. Right. I'm guessing in those days as an actor you were your own makeup
0: department studios didn't well in, like Lon Chaney exactly but he, was some, he was special though. <laughs> he was
1: special a man of like uh, somewhere between 900 to <laughs> 1100 faces
0: somewhere between 999 and 1001 faces <laughs>
1: studios didn't even conceive of the idea for another year or so that they as they began to appreciate the magic of makeup for films they kind of didn't know that they should have their own department and have their own people right. doing this instead of actors being like I got an idea yeah. so not only was he able to sell his wares but he was also networking Mm -hmm. making a name for himself among industry people from actors to studio heads at the end of the 20s a new technology threatened everything lights films in
0: color uh uh-huh. all of his makeup was green. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no one will ever tell and I'm invincible and infallible. In Am I <laughs>
0: <laughs> Isn't <Luis>. invincipis infallibilis.
1: <laughs> Luckily for the studios Max Factor was the guy to come to. He had the connections, the expertise and the labs to develop and create new
0: with late hours. Around
1: that same time Max Factor was desperate for more space. In 1927 Max Factor was about to go national introducing hits. He was about to create a new makeup line. It was called the Society makeup line. Supreme was his first cosmetic line, but only some of the cosmetics of that line were sold to the general public. The Society line would be distributed nationwide to respectable society women who wanted the glamour of Hollywood from their own home, which is a line that I came up with. (laughs) For this operation, though, he needed bigger space. He briefly opened up a shop in Boyle Heights at Soto and Cesar Chavez Avenue back when Mm. it was Brooklyn Avenue, but he quickly found that this was still not enough space. He then found space in Hollywood, closer to the studios at the old Hollywood Storage Company building. At 6 1666 North Highland Avenue at the corner of the dreaded Hollywood (laughs) Highland.
0: Right next to Mel's. And Ripley's, believe it or not. Not
1: only next to Mel's, physically attached yeah, yeah. to you, you exit through Mel's exit through Mel's proof of purchase to get in the Hollywood Museum fries that's not true <laughs> the building was in need of renovation but offered Max Factor and his company enough space to operate the remodel building had the ground floor devoted to offices sales a salon and a lecture room and the remainder of the building was used for manufacturing the society cosmetic line was a success and it led to the makeup studio at Hollywood Highland being extended and renovated having a grand opening in 1935 if I did not make this already clear this is where the Max Factor building still is is it's a right. beautiful art deco building the architect is simon charles lee or s charles lee who worked on many of the grand los angeles movie houses the los angeles theater is one the tower theater is another one my favorite is the mayor building which is formerly the hollywood western building it's, it's got a cbs there now
0: it's a really nice building but it's it's a hidden gem in plain sight like yeah. it's so easy to overlook this yeah which we have done we for have, years we've stood next to it <laughs> And I haven't noticed. We've it. leaned on that building. We've leaned on that building. What the yeah, hell
1: is this? I'll get into it right now. My problem is that I've always confused it with the, the Hollywood Wax, 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 Museum. Wax Museum and Wax also Factor the Wax Museum. Factor Museum. You have to know how much I hate being at Hollywood and Highland. There's an odd and beautiful link between studios, actors, and makeup people, and sometimes that mixture gets caught in amber and it captures an entire era. For me, I think about like Universal horror movies, Boris and Lon Chaney or Lon Chaney Jr. and Jack Pierce. Mm-hmm. Like that idea of these yeah. how the. Studio made these movies and the people behind it and stuff for glamorous old hollywood it's max factor and this man is attached to stars like marilyn monroe betty davis Gloria swanson lana turner lucille he was the
0: the opposite of monster makeup exactly (laughs) yeah
1: you needed the polar opposite of that many say one of his biggest contributions to movie makeup is his ideas of color harmony right which is not just for movie makeup it was just for makeup of the 40s or 50s yeah which
0: by my favorite part of that museum is the the color harmony harmony room yeah the red head room the brunette room the the brown brown the room and the blonde room yeah
1: that is so cool because
0: we went into the the redhead room and i looked great in the redhead <laughs> room and melissa looked green <laughs> you're then, trash get out of here You're making me sick yeah and then in the other rooms i looked really pink but it's it's, it's weird it's absolutely Which one did you look best in i probably look the bald really, room
1: it was actually a loading dock
0: you're a bad <laughs> person you look best in the bathroom <laughs> holding a towel holding a me. towel <laughs> which but really which one did you look I think best maybe in? the brownette room I probably okay, I can looked see really, that yeah,
1: yeah the remaining that, that Melissa
0: looked in part of the room <laughs> uh, <laughs> Melissa looked best in the brownette room also yeah
1: I didn't write it in here but I'd like to talk about one thing I saw in there and you want to talk about it now sure did you see that weird cage mask to point out I have a picture oh I think I know what you're talking about yeah I saw yeah. That,
0: that that torture the rat cage from
1: 1984 it's called a <laughs> it's called a calibration machine and it's used to point out different features on someone's face it's a cage that it looks like the thing in saw
0: it points out what's wrong with your face it's humiliating to wear and it humiliates yeah (laughs) it
1: serves its function if i put it on it all just starts glowing all of it all (laughs) of it all of it it doesn't even roll by that throw out (laughs) okay so let's talk about the color harmony so the idea basically is women who are unfamiliar with using makeup could apply the principles of color harmony and that could help them select makeup shades that harmonize with their complexion their hair and their eyes Mm -hmm. with the potential color combinations of skin complexion hair and eyes color harmonies were divided into four widely ranged groups based on their hair color. Like we were talking about blondes, brunettes, yeah. Brown brownettes, blonde. and redheads, oh, no. yeah. which are categories that he invented himself. Really? He, he invented redheads, yeah. So women ordering a makeup could, what you would do is fill out a questionnaire, you request a questionnaire, and then they give you makeup suggestions in return. This was not a sales gimmick, although it was as successful as a sales <laughs> gimmick. And the marketing pretty much made up femininity of that era. He continued innovating
0: makeup. Well, let's say the the way that works is because the room, like like I said, the redhead room, the walls are all green yeah so the coloring the green complements red so mm-hmm. it should bring out a nice look in your skin yeah and you know the opposite with like the blonde room that's it's a different colored wall and, it...
1: and then you have like the makeup to apply to that color of your hair which
0: yeah. is yeah and that's in the redhead room that's where lucille ball they, yeah, they realized like oh you should be a redhead this mm-hmm. is your color it's crazy to go in that room where they've decided lucille ball is a redhead you're not a mousy brown anymore you're yeah.
1: a redhead yeah
0: and hundreds of other like every other star also yeah like yeah. marilyn monroe like everybody monroe, all, of these, all he the most her. famous actresses yeah were in there getting their makeup done
1: i think it was max factor's son but it's the same principle that goes right. throughout which basically yeah marilyn monroe wanted to be gene harlow so he's like yeah we're just gonna like destroy your hair and make it <laughs> so blonde and yeah. you're gonna be and he he invented blonde bombshells the same thing with lana turner he was they were max factor senior was looking after gene harlow he helped turn gloria swanson into like a movie goddess and stuff <laughs> he continued innovating makeup and in 1935 he created a liquid grease paint called Satin Smooth Liquid Foundation with a satin smooth powder which was created in a range of different natural skin tones and was guaranteed not to change color under studio lights. This was later called Pancake Makeup and was adopted by studios in 1937. It was so successful that women kept stealing it from studio sets for use at home. So at this point Max Factor travels to Europe he begins to receive death threats demanding money for his life. Which is a kidnapping without the hard work. I want money to not kill you. And you Why did like, this happen? I think because he was probably rich. Mm. He was rich and famous and it's the 30s and people like you know like this stuff so this rattles the old man so he returns home to california and it's then once he gets back home in beverly hills that he passes away at the age of 65 (laughs) i read now i'm safe i was getting a lot of really good information from this cosmetics website on him and then they said this that he was hit by a delivery truck and died from the injuries that's literally the only place
0: that says that and i'm
1: so curious
0: (laughs) cover-up he was all about cover-ups why couldn't his death (laughs) be a cover-up also
1: max factor legacy lived on through his children who took over the company once their father passed his Frank Francis, who changed his name, he hated his name so much he changed his name to Max Factor Jr., sold a line of pancake makeup and it was the best-selling product in the history of the field. The company continued to develop cosmetics throughout the era of television and through the World War, whichever one had the Nazis in it. The company still had many family members still working for it, but in the 60s, the company went public and in 1973, Max Factor merged with the Norton Simon Holding Company. Norton Simon, of course, a Norton Simon virus, yeah yeah he puts viruses on your computer in 1986 revlon purchased the parent company max factor and then they sold the cosmetic products to procter and gamble for 1.5 billion dollars in mm-hmm. the 90s in the early 90s 1.5 billion dollars that was roughly like 66 dollars.
0: tough times tough time.
1: it was a bad time to be alive which i was in 2010 procter and gamble announced that it would no longer market any max factor products to the u.s you gotta go to russia sucker really? you gotta go to, UK Back to the homeland from whence it came <laughs> you can get it online pretty easy they say now not only did norton simon co and revlon and png own max factor they obviously own the building there were some close calls from png over the fate of this historic building but in 1994 they sold it to the hollywood museum because they understood the historic importance of all the max factor yeah. stuff now the hollywood museum currently owns and operates out of there was a wonderful place for all that stuff the biggest drawback like we said one of the worst intersections <laughs> in los angeles is hollywood and highland florence and normandy is safer and more appealing than hollywood and highland also it's attached physically to as we said Mel's drive-in which you and i have had some weird nights there very weird it took nine years to renovate and restore the max factor building back to the original glamour and glory of old hollywood and it reopened again in 2003 the mark of any great old building is the bathroom and the lobby bathroom (laughs) of the max factor building is so choice
0: i didn't use the lobby bathroom i was going to but i went to one upstairs where the workers were oh was there workers up there piddle uh no no no, because the workers you you know the old factory workers. oh right 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 right. they
1: same thing with the lobby one did it have a cool soap dispenser yeah it did yeah the one downstairs we
0: poop in cool places Haunted, cool.
1: <laughs> it's just a great art deco gem. It looks like the ladies' powder room from that scene in Miller's Crossing. It's got white and rose-colored lavish marble, recreated historical chandeliers, pastel hues, which I like a lot, antique furniture. There's a lot of gold and silver leafing in there that I like a lot. Even like handrails and stuff I like a lot. That
0: ground floor alone is worth the price of admission. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's so cool. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And then you get so much more, which I didn't really ask for, but yeah. still, I'll take it.
0: <laughs> the thing about that, because it, it feels like you'll walk walk out of the redhead room and you'll see the front door open onto Highland Boulevard and you can kind of see Hollywood and Highland like you can feel like oh Lucille Ball or whoever walked out of here and then walked right out and went Uh to Hollywood and Highland and became a star yeah Yeah. exactly
1: and I'm a redhead and where's the movies now yeah
0: it looks like what you see in a movie from the 40s or the 50s like it's not much has changed except for everything outside the door yeah
1: yeah. it still retains a little bit of that glamour which I like a lot and I like old Hollywood glamour a Yeah, it's a it's
0: perfect old Hollywood glamour, yeah.
1: and uh, I was telling my girlfriend about it. And she's like, "It sounds like a tourist trap." I'm like, "It kind of is," because I mm. was there.
0: Not really, though. Not because it's I a hidden jam. The Wax Museum is a tourist Absolutely. trap. This isn't a tourist trap. But
1: I, when I was standing in the lobby, I was asking the lady if she had any pamphlets to read for the historical stuff. People were just walking in and off the street, tourists, yeah. and they were just like, "What is this?" And she'd say something, yeah. and they would just give money. Like it captures some. It's
0: not. A, it's not it's a tourist not, trap.
1: But it's not like Hollywood and Highland. But like no. if you're walking on the street and you have a map of museums, you might stop there just because it's. Museum. Yeah, there is a, a statue of Marilyn Monroe outside. You might get suckered into it,
0: <laughs> but that's part of Mel's. <laughs> she's holding a hamburger. Is she holding a hamburger? I think she's holding. It. I don't think that's. Her. You
1: don't remember that scene from uh, Seven Year Itch, where she's holding a hamburger?
0: I don't consider that a tourist trap at all.
1: Okay, that's fair. A
0: tourist trap yeah. is you're you're paying a lot of money to see things that aren't real. Okay, this is. Wait.
1: So you're saying the mystery spot on the way to Oregon's not real? There. The broom stood up straight.
0: The places where you go do peyote and <laughs> have fun. But no, no, no. I don't consider, like a tourist trap, in wax museum, Ripley's, believe it or not, like you're, you're seeing things, but you're just seeing a replica of something that's I famous. See. But in the Max Factor Museum, you're seeing, like we talked about, you see you see the prescription the, the, that the, killed I'm, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> they have I, one of the other bottles of the medicine mm-hmm. that killed that she overdosed on. I immediately I saw that.
1: I Well, she was killed by the Kennedys. I saw that and I thought... That's more of a museum of death thing. Yeah, we should all agree that this doesn't belong.
0: <laughs> but also, are you going to talk about the rest of the museum? Yeah, I'm okay. going to go
1: room by room all for right, a little bit. Let's go. <laughs> this <laughs> Give is me stuff- the floor plan. It is a floor plan. I've just taken this straight from their website because they wrote it better than I could. The Hollywood Museum features four floors of exhibits, the two floors above the lobby and in the basement below, offering 35,000 square feet of exhibit space. There's seven times the size of the nearby Guinness World, of World Record Museum, almost four times the size of Ripley's, and five times the size of the Warner Brothers Museum, which I haven't gone to. On the Hollywood Museum's ground floor can be found the historic lobby plus backfactors restored makeup rooms a gallery featuring more than a thousand black and white photos which was really weird because I'm like sometimes you walk in a room and there wasn't a sort of like well this is what this room is like you just walk in yeah, yeah, yeah. nothing like, yeah. Yeah, that's
0: that's maybe the only drawback is yeah. just kind of like, like everything's here yeah <laughs> that was a really cool room of, it, it's all historic pictures mm-hmm. of Hollywood and
1: they're not coordinated or arranged nope, in any just way it's just, around, just like see what you so, find like, <laughs> rural Hollywood and Highland and then just like a picture of Cary Grant like all right yeah I'll take it. second and third floors are devoted exclusively to costumes by famous stars and famous films of of course, PeeBee Herman's bicycles there with yeah. his suit. They the had Batmobile. on the, the Batmobile, like not more than the Batmobile, okay. like the red phone, the yeah. just a display of the, the but like the costumes all of, all like, of all the, the costumes villains. of Adam West Batman series yeah. is up there. It's exactly what I wanted to see. They had Planet of the Apes
0: stuff. And Glenn Close's shawl. <laughs> they've got a bunch of weird they have mark
1: Wahlberg's suit from the planet of the apes
0: remake <laughs> they have a whole other area that's just autographs yeah of like, of every- oh that guy's
1: that guy's collection yeah the yeah. guy's
0: collection the hollywood autograph hound guy like yeah every, pretty much every for ackerman pretty much every celebrity's autograph and then like the whole cast of gone with the wind the whole yeah. cast of casablanca it's like cool. it's it's insane
1: it has one of the largest collections of genuine maryland memorabilia a lot of history. What historians. was that?
0: Maryland memory? Mer-
1: Marilyn Monroe Memorabilia. Hard Maryland and
0: Memorabilia?
1: The lower level has had many lives during the building's long history. It was once a bowling alley and during Prohibition it was a speakeasy. Mm-hmm. Right now they have a thing dedicated to like horror stuff downstairs so there's a lot of different costumes. I
0: think that's a permanent thing.
1: It's weird because you walk down and they have stuff from Silence of the Lambs like his suit and the yeah. mask and the drawings and stuff but they made it look like the long hallway where she has it's to go see. Scary. It's pretty, it's really <laughs> scary. And then they have the bed where that guy threw semen and Joe Foster's face, more importantly, the best thing downstairs, in my opinion, is they have Vampira's black dress from Mm -hmm. Plan 9, and they have like Myla Nervi's sunglasses and I think like gloves and stuff. I loved it. I was, I took like 46 pictures of just like three things. They had a lot of special events through the years. My favorite, there's a highlight. 2011 was a reunion of people who had worked on I Love Lucy and for a celebration of uh, Lucy's 100th birthday and 60th anniversary of the show. She's a deadhead one of the guests included her daughter lucy arnaz who played elizabeth short in a really weird little tv lucy? little lucy was playing elizabeth short in something the museum is now open wednesdays to sundays 10 to 5 it's 15 dollars for entry but 12 dollars for students and seniors and five dollars mm-hmm. for kids park at mal's and in the lot at mal's it's eight dollars for the first hours and two dollars for each additional 15 minutes mm-hmm. but be smart and take the
0: red line but take it's really great street parking like i do take 45 takes,
1: it takes minutes me 45 minutes to do it <laughs> it's, it's well worth it if you like old hollywood if you like uh, just like costumes and yeah. autographs and stuff and just memorabilia it's a perfect place to go yeah yet. i
0: hadn't i uh, like i said i had never been there until the day after thanksgiving we went and i i, I couldn't recommend it enough to yeah. everybody it's, it was so cool so let's get to the, our last one on the list here not a museum not a restaurant paint that wall oh talk my her up god we'll get to the wall later let's oh start with the god. her the her we're talking about is judith francisca Baca. judy Baca. born september 20th 1946 in huntington park at age six her mom remarried so she was moved to pacoima where she now went to school with where most people spoke English as their primary language, which Judy didn't. She spoke Spanish, so she struggled in class so often that her teacher would just have her sit in the back and paint Uh instead, which is a terrible teaching technique, but it did spark her interest in art. So, great teacher. Teacher of the Year.
1: In 20 years, she'll thank me.
0: In high school, she went to Bishop Alamany, which is in Mission Hills, right next to the Fred Mertz Burial Ground, (laughs) a.k.a. the San Fernando Mission. Lenny Bruce is there. Lenny Bruce is across the street. Oh. And then, I didn't say across the street from Bishop (laughs) Alamany. And then, she went to CSUN, where she graduated in 1960, she probably had to sit on some floors to get her work done on her podcast yeah for her art podcast <laughs> she was the first in her family to get a degree she also got her masters from CSUN around this time she had some fits and starts she had gotten married at age 19 but that lasted less than six years when she came out as gay oh okay sinister
1: that, that might break up a marriage yeah
0: it's not you it's that the I'm sexuality. gay <laughs> it's, not,
1: it's not you it's that I don't like you I'm not attracted <laughs> to you I actually like the opposite sex
0: she also briefly worked at Lockheed in the designing department but that didn't last because the Rockets came out as straight. Uh, then she ended up <laughs> She ended up becoming an art teacher at Bishop Alamany, her high school alma mater, but she was also part of the Chicano Moratorium, so she was fired after a year for going to anti-Vietnam protests. This is when she applied to work for a program through the LA Parks Department mm-hmm. that let... She was a trained master. She nerd. was a train nerd. So they let her teach art to kids and seniors in the parks, and because of her background, she was assigned to work in East LA. So when she was in these parks, she saw a lot of young kids who were in gangs hanging out in the parks, so she, yeah. to give them something to do, she convinced a lot of them to help her paint this mural she was doing in the Hollenbeck Park Bandshell. It was called Mi Abuelita in 1970. They helped her out with this and it was a nice experience and that mural became a point of pride in that community. Yeah. So her work on this mural and getting the community involved got her promoted to being the director of Eastside Murals oh, for the wow. Parks Department and that's when she had decided she wanted to keep working with the community to make art for the community. Yeah. So public art became her passion and her special touch was that she'd work very closely with local people, hear their local stories and find the right subject to paint that meant something to the area it's not just like hey an angel this is a guy who everyone loved this is a story from this town that a lot of people here are from
1: i, I went to a talk oh god i don't remember the guy's name but ted oh it was ted um we went to a talk at la plaza for guys who've done murals through the years who are really famous and it's like oh yeah they're, they're not just like a muralist idea like he was saying like you knock on doors and you talk to people like what do right. you guys you guys live here yeah you want to see yeah what do you, you, yeah, <laughs> you, what do you guys want to see you drive past this all the time they're reflections of the community yeah. which is really Cool.
0: Just like the Magic Castle is a reflection of the Haunted Mansion. (laughs) So she ended up making a ton of murals in East LA until 1974 when she founded the City of LA Mural Program, which was LA's first dedicated public mural program. Through this, she organized murals all over the city made by people from those parts of the city. She wasn't the first one to make murals in LA, but she did make them as widespread as they are now, making LA arguably the mural capital of the world. A lot of people that uh, I read about, Mm -hmm, I say that. So she even did an RFK Memorial mural inside that school where the ambassador was. Oh, she did that? Not the one that's in front. This is a mural inside the school that we're not allowed to see. I think I saw a picture of that.
1: I think I know the one you're talking about.
0: It kind of looks like uh, it's a giant angel.
1: But it's got the face of JFK, which is not the Kennedy (laughs) that died there. But
0: by 1976, she was afraid that the city would eventually stop funding public art or start censoring her, which they did. did. She spun away from the city and formed a new program called the Social and Public Art Resource Center, or SPARK. Their goal was to fund community public art in LA's marginalized area. So their headquarters was in a garage behind the Venice Police Station, but Judy had already started work on her greatest projects at Uh this point already. What year was that? Sorry, In 1976, she started that, but now we're going back to 1974 when the Army Corps of Engineers contacted Judy about doing a mural on the Tahunga Flood Channel in Valley Glen as part of a new beautification project they were doing that they were adding a park, a bike path to this area. So Judy grew up in that general area, so she knew how ugly these flood channels and the river was, but she, hey, they're beautiful. But she remembered Remembered working with a gangster in East LA who had a bunch of scars and stab wounds, and she worked with him to design tattoos that incorporated these scars and turned them into something beautiful. Mm -hmm. And this is how she decided to approach the flood control channels that she saw as scars on the city. So why not make art around this using this? So she decided to continue her approach of involving the community and their local stories as much as possible and she's got to work. So to help her with this, she looked to local artists and also local at-risk kids recommended by the criminal justice department as part of their rehabilitation to work on this with her. So the kids had to be between the ages of 14 and 21 and were recruited and interviewed to be selected. The first section of work involved 80 of these kids, most of whom had been arrested at least once, many of which were from rival gangs who literally oh. wanted to kill <laughs> other kids on the team. But they were made assistants and they helped in the planning and painting the mural. They were called the mural makers. They got paid 225 an hour, which was a small fortune. Back then. <laughs> they were given art lessons, history lectures, apparently improv classes, which oh, cool. it who wouldn't love to see rival gang members being I would, an improv?
1: No, like joke no joke, I would love to see that.
0: Go to the U C B you can see that.
1: You try to get rival gangs to yes and
0: Yes, and I'm going. (laughs) There's yes and and the opposite. Nah, fool. Much harder to master. Since this was part of their rehab, the LA Justice Department gave some money for this project. They were taught trades, like how to read blueprints and the math that was involved in that. And they were taught how to paint both functionally and artistically. So the professionals they were learning from, there were 10 artists and five historians who rounded out the team for that first stretch of mural that was begun in the summer of 1976. So for the subject matter, Judy wanted to do the History of California, which is, that's the official title of this mural. That's what it's called it's really called? It's not called the Great Wall of Los Angeles. It's mm-hmm. called the History of California. I like the Great Wall. It's called the Great Wall of China, actually. Is that taken? She wanted it to tell the history, but not the history as taught in textbooks. Yeah. So she wanted to tell the alternate side of the history of California where the people ignored or forgotten by the textbooks were remembered and honored yeah. here. So the stories and contributions from the marginalized communities of California, the Native Americans, the Latinos, the Asians, African American, Jewish people. She wanted to tell a history that emphasized the multi-ethnicity that yeah. was California.
1: And to point out that all these people are American. Exactly, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. California isn't just John uh, C. Fremont and Max exactly. Factor. A little is man f-
1: from Russia. Yeah,
0: Now that's America, <laughs> if I've ever seen it. She said, I envisioned a long narrative of another history of California, one which included ethnic peoples, women and minorities who were invisible in conventional mm-hmm. textbooks accounts. It was the recovery of the river and the recovery of our stories. To decide on the story, subjects would be discussed by the group and picked by everybody as a whole. Then sketches were made and then Judy and the artist would do the final design. Some of the kids helped out with that. And then came the hard labor. (laughs) The general location of the Great Wall is around 12920 West Oxnard Street between Oxnard, Coldwater, Burbank, and a parking lot on the Western Wall. It's on the Western Wall of the channel. You can pray there. It's it's a humbling experience (laughs) to pray there. It had to be done in the summer because other times of the year were too risky for flash floods. But because of that, it was unbearably hot and people would get snow blindness from the brightness of the sun bouncing off the concrete of the channel. So this first section covers the time period from about 20,000 BC with the local natives and the tar pits, then to the Spanish and Mexican eras, then on to the US, up to the 1910s. So that was the first section. It was 13 feet tall and it stretched for a thousand feet with each 100 feet being done by a different artist. It was done in a style known as social realism, which is that classic Chicano mural style with yeah. a lot of color. Is that what
1: it's officially known as? Yeah, that's okay. what people lo- I, I never knew that.
0: Well, I guess you're not as Chicano as me.
1: I listened to one Richie Vallon song. No, go
0: ahead. It's a lot of color and you know exactly who the bad guy is is in the story. Anyone with fangs. The rest of this mural was done over the course of five summers. So each summer after this, it focused on the next decade. Not sequential summers, though. It focused on the next decade. Every summer, different decade. And it took a year of research and planning in between that. 1978, they did the 20s. 1980 was the 30s. 1981 was the 40s. 1983 was the 50s. Each decade added 350 feet of mural. The first stretch was just unconnected scenes in a row. But starting around the 20s, they started making each scene flow into the next yeah. one they, they would bleed over they do bleed really well they bleed Oh, they believe oh, no, well, just like those rival gang members. <laughs> nah, fool. Nah, fool, please nah, fool. don't. I'm going to stab you. <laughs> There's scenes of the Mexican deportations in the 30s, yeah. the Japanese internment camps in the 40s, the fight for women's rights, civil rights, gay rights, sinister rights. It's 2,754 feet long, which is over half of a mile. For a while, that was the longest mural in the world, but it isn't anymore. What's the longest mural in the world? Now? There's one in Vietnam that's like okay. miles long. In all, over 400 kids from all backgrounds helped work on this, with the help of local artists, historians, scholars, ethnologists, and the community at large. So the whole community is responsible for this, and because of that, there's a deep sense of pride about it, which is why in all these years it's never been tagged or graffitied. Yeah. Nobody touches it, because it's like, why? Please don't. <laughs> yeah, it means something, and people don't want that to be ruined. So, yeah. Judy's described it as a monument to interracial harmony, mm-hmm. and it changed a lot of these kids' lives completely. Many yeah. of them got into movie work with their new skill set. Some of them became artists in their own right. Yeah. The mural, it's no, it's not finished at all. It didn't end in the 50s. But they are going to add Trump to it? Yeah. <laughs> 60s through 2020s. <laughs> and Trump 2020. Trump 2020. Things have been stalled for a while. In 1984, they stopped painting after a flash flood dragged one of the workers eight miles down the mm, river. Speaking kill. of Dre, no, she was rescued, but okay. it took a helicopter and she and was dragged eight, eight miles. miles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On top of that, funding and interest in public art started dying down in the late 80s, so there just wasn't money to pay for the estimated $600,000 it would cost to do each new decade. Yeah. Going up to the 90s would extend the mural to over a mile long, but it's just been hard to get going. But Judy hasn't given up. Starting yeah. in the late 90s, she began raising funds to restore the work that had already been done on the mural that was starting to fade away. When they were made, they were sealed to protect from flooding, but the pollution and the sun damage, Mm, it's pretty bad. That restoration didn't get underway till 2011 and cost $2.1 million, but the work they did should keep the mural looking good for at least half a century. That's great. Half a century in mural time, which is 50 (laughs) feet. Uh, She's also proposed building a bridge over the area to be able to view the mural better since 2014, but that's also taking forever. They managed to secure funding for extending it from the National Endowment for the Arts in 2013 and 2014. Future work would be done in studios indoors with air conditioning and no snow blindness with a team placing the finished murals directly on the walls afterwards so as not to risk any more kids getting washed down the river. Right, that's good. Wear an inner tube when you do this in We should 110 all be doing this, this in weather. canoes. Yeah. <laughs> the current mural ends with a Native American Olympian named Billy Mills holding the Olympic flame and Judy's plan is to have the 60s begin with that flame lighting society on fire. <laughs> Judy herself has been doing other work like she did a mural in the denver airport in 2001 okay. talking about cults and satan worshipers she spoke at the la women's march against trump and oh, now cool. she teaches art and chicano studies at ucla spark which is her organization has made 105 murals across the city with almost 100 artists between 1988 and 2002 they started the great walls unlimited neighborhood pride mural program to do even more of these they're also the ones who founded the venice graffiti pit which is a whole oh, other yeah, hidden yeah, yeah. gem here we go yeah, yeah. Venice <laughs> graffiti pit that's, uh, it. that's great great yeah. I, I was
1: very curious about that i'd seen it maybe last summer for the first
0: time i've only ever seen it driving down cold water oh yeah. and like oh that's it i see oh that's a bad white person <laughs> I I looking in the mirror um <laughs> <laughs> in my rearview mirror. yeah me Ooh, this a, is photorealistic
1: walked along it and it's it's beautiful and i really like it. it's you're you're kind of Taken because it's in the flood channel and you're up top and yeah. it, I just want to get closer to it. But like I remember of... getting to the end and then we're like, I want to see that thing back in the 20s and I remember it being a long walk, half a
0: mile. Half a it's mile. over half a like, mile. We're
1: oh, yeah. we still in the 30s. <laughs> are we
0: still in World War <laughs> Two? It's,
1: it's really beautiful and it, it. You could tell that what you said was right. Was like it gets more seamless and stuff. And right. It, it just blends so perfectly That would be so
0: cool to to have it go. Just like keep it going. Yeah. To,
1: <laughs> yeah. To con- every couple decades to just add it. Yeah. Add a it decade. It,
0: it's it's a hidden gem if yeah, I ever. It heard is.
1: Yeah, and it's worthy of seeing, too. Like, even if you don't like murals, you'd still appreciate this.
0: Here's something we'd appreciate. Leave us a review. If you like this show, if you're a new listener, or if you're an old listener who's just been sitting with their thumbs up their arses, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us out. It makes it easier for people to find us. It gives us a little bit more credibility. It's nice. It's a nice thing to do. If you have an iPhone, open your podcast app. Just search for us. We're right there. It just takes a couple of finger taps.
1: Maybe write a nice sentence about us, but we'd really appreciate it. This is the year we want to get more popular. Yeah, this is
0: our big push
1: yeah so appreciate your help on that you could find us on Facebook for a little bit longer LA yeah. Meekly <laughs> until
0: uh, Mark Zuckerberg says that oh I've been going to through all talking. your messages personally this time <laughs>
1: we're on Instagram we post every day LA <laughs> underscore Meekly we got a lot
0: of good pictures a lot of
1: good pictures every day we post and we try to make it as fun as possible
0: Twitter at LA Meekly
1: we have a uh, Tumblr which is our main hub it has a bunch of pictures yeah. and links to the stuff they and our archive episode of archive episodes. that's la dot that. Tumblr dot com we got it
0: and again email LA.meekly at gmail if you have suggestions, if you have questions, yeah. uh, for we we always forget to ask for more listener more questions. questions. Yeah. But yeah, send us questions, suggestions, nice words, uh-huh. mean words, uh, mean girls, DVDs yeah. Yeah, that you've ripped. Mean and girls. And yeah, email uh, that to photos us. Photos of Torrents. Teen Faye. We'll yeah. take anything. Um, and also, if you want to be a subject of a field trip episode, yeah. uh, if you work at or know someone who works at an interesting or historic place in the city, any of these places we've yeah. talked about, we've loved, we'd love to we'd come love talk to you. We'd love to
1: talk to people. You. We'd love to talk to anybody about anything. Yeah. Um, What'd you eat for dinner? We have a Patreon as well if you want to support us support financially, us financially. It Keeps we've us going. we've been sending postcards yeah. to people who have been giving us $5 a month and we yeah. handwrite postcards and stuff. And, yeah.
0: and we're making actual merchandise mm-hmm. to be selling soon. It's coming. Once and I learn uh, how to
1: vectorize an image, it's coming. Yeah.
0: Once I learn what that means and I learn how to do it, it's coming. it's coming. And yeah, that helps us, like we said, it we don't make money off of this so it helps us to keep going financially. it's, yeah. it's uh, This is not easy work, no. so it's good to make some I'm, money from that. Which I'm is sick nice.
1: and I'm sitting at midnight on uh, the day after Christmas we want- on the floor.
0: My bottom hurts
1: so much and I'm not getting... Your
0: family's waiting for you to come cut open the Christmas goose. I got
1: Tiny Tim there and he's just coughing and who knows if this is his last day and we're all looking at him like, you better make a sound if you're about to go. Um, <laughs> and he won't
0: we're also on youtube <laughs> Jesus.
1: yeah we also have everything on youtube you
0: know what I god subscribe to us everyone
1: i've been uh very upset that the commercials we made for alley meekly live devil's night art did not get at the love they deserve because they are, are so good they're
0: they look real, good they they're, look, look, they're really funny they're really good yeah i recommend it. those if you don't want to listen to the episodes on there watch our commercials well, at least watch devil's the night. commercial
1: for devil's it's night fun. the ones really are from fun. the radio because they're really fun and they came out looking great and i never expected that nope yeah.
0: especially uh the behind the scenes footage no. of, of watching <laughs> werewolf hands getting slapped and being taught how to conduct Like to, this. <laughs> and again, thanks again to LA. Follow them on Instagram. Yeah, that's a good choice uh, on your part.
1: You can follow me on Instagram if you want. GregoGonzo G-R-E-G-O-G-O-N-Z-O. That's my personal one. I put a lot of G-O-N-Z-O. sign painting G-O-N-Z-O. stuff I've been N-Z-O. doing or any comedy
0: shows that I have coming up. Um, and if I want anything, Greg will promote it for me. Yeah,
1: I usually have to do that because you're, I treat you like a, a grandpa. Who's was like,
0: how do I, how <laughs> make Facebook, tell Twitter I accidentally submitted all these naked pictures <laughs> to Perez Hilton. How do you take them back, Greg?
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Grego underscore Gonzo. I usually just repost jokes from better comedians.
0: <laughs> so, do you have any closing thoughts here, Greg?
1: January 2019. Let's hope this is a great year. We're gonna yeah. keep doing this. Oh yeah, Happy stupid New Year, thing. everybody! Happy New Year! I Can't believe we didn't say that. No, I, I can't believe it. Yeah, no, we're hoping to meet more of you this year. We're hoping to do more live things this year. We have some things cooking that are hopefully yeah. ready to be served have soon. The roast on. Oh, let's all find. These new hidden gems of LA together, and let's let's fight gentrification as
0: much as we can. Okay, let's stop letting new people ruin old LA. Wow, Greg's a bigot. Uh, nah. So, <laughs> so on that note, uh, that has been yet another episode of LA Meekly spying for the Germans since 2013. End transmission. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>